highest symbol of excellence in sports entertainment. You are blocking the view, Hulkster. My million... There's some killer, Cal. He don't look that big to me, man. The dude you're talking about doesn't look that big to me because every time I've seen him, he's on his back in the ring. You know, I got a lot of things I want to say, so I hope we got a little time, man. I like the American flag you got here, brother. Yeah. I like that a lot, you know. Killer Cal. I've been thinking about you all day, man. All day long I've been thinking about what a stark raiding maniac and what a killer you really are. Because ever since I've had the WWF world title, every time I climb in the combat zone with any number one contender around the world, I play it right down the line, daddy. I mean, when I step in the ring, I'm wired for sound, brother, because there are thousands of people, all the Hulkamaniacs, they're out there on my side. And every time I've stepped in that ring, man, they've taken a cheap shot at me. And I'm getting tired of it. That's why I've been thinking about Killer Cal all day. Because, you know, even the little teeny kids that play in the playground, once in a while, they'll take a cheap shot at each other because everybody's got a mean streak in them. And I've been thinking about the name all day long, Killer Cal, because... Oh, first off, excuse me, I didn't mean to interrupt my own train of thoughts, you know, but Jesse Nobody Ventura, I'm glad you didn't show up tonight. Because the way I've been thinking, the attitude adjustment problem I got, I wouldn't want to pick on anybody that's not healthy, wealthy, or wise. So, Jesse, you just lay in that hospital bed, let them armchairs just shrink up, and those legs are going to get a lot skinnier. And when you feel a lot better, come on down to the combat zone, brother, because the holster's ready. Now to get back on the track, Jack. The thing, killer cow. The reason I named the dude this, he stands out here with a microphone, acts like... Ten times a Johnny Carson could ever be. The connoisseur of verbal ability, I would say. But the thing is, inside, Killer Cal's got a mean streak. One time I saw him interview the Sheik, and when the Sheik walked away, he spun him around and knocked him out in Madison Square Garden. That's why I call the man Killer Cal. And ever since I've been thinking about it today, I got a big dude in the ring, almost seven foot tall, big John Dutt, almost 400 pounds. The man, don't you laugh, Killer Cow. Don't you laugh, I'll slap you right where you stand, Daddy. I'll make you look like my shadow at high noon. But the thing is, brother, I know you're on my side. And everybody in Philadelphia, the Liberty Bell City's on my side. But Big John Studd, almost 400 pounds, too, has talked about just stripping the belt from around my waist, swatting me down. What are you pointing your finger at? I'll talk all night long if I want to. Swatting me down like a flea in my own hometown. Sylvester Stallone introduced me to the city, brought me to the Little Reedy Bell City like a babe in arms. You're going to strip the belt off me in my own hometown? Well, Big John Studd, you might want to bust me up a little bit because that's cool, because I don't mind the pain. But there's one thing you'll never do. As long as Hulkamania runs wild in the Liberty Bell City, you'll never pin me in the center of the ring for a one, two, three. And that's the only way you can win the WWF title. So let's get it on, man. Just a few minutes away. I can't get... I can't wait, man. I'm so excited I can hardly even talk. But the 24-inch pythons, check them out, Daddy. They're already getting pumped up, brother. They're getting pumped up. And if I can get that bear hug around Big John Dud's waist, I'm going to squeeze it. You're going to hear that snap, crackle, and pop. But Big John Dud, do whatever you may. Lay it all on the line. Thunder and lightning in a wide-open field. I want to feel the pain. I want to feel how strong you are. What a roll, ladies and gentlemen. You'll never beat me in the All center. Right. You'll never beat we'll me. We'll be brother. right back, and then you're going to say it. Hulkamania's running Hulkamania against John Dunn. Woo!
Hey now, welcome to the 24-inch podcast. My name is Steve Bennett, home in Buffalo, New York, after spending six or seven or so days in the state of New Jersey. And you know, no trip for me now to the state of New Jersey would be complete without me spending at least a little bit of time with this next guy who showed me Carney, New Jersey, sort of. Uh, parts near Carney, he took me. Uh, and uh, we got to spend some great time together. And, and for the first time, I introduced him as a friend I met in person, uh, Hollywood Dave Rollins. What's up, Dave? How you doing tonight? I'm doing great in person, brother. And let me t- tell you something. It kind of felt like, you know, that next the the next day, the second day you were here that I called you, I called you like along with all my other buddies, just like going down the line, like not even thinking twice. You fit right in like a piece of the puzzle. You know what I mean? Right here in Kearney, New Jersey. Uh, unfortunately, both our teams lost, uh, the yeah. Giants and the Saints. Football didn't go together. Great. Yeah, football I'm sure you were, you were a little more upset than me, but um, it was enjoyable to sit there, have some wings, have some beers. Of course, the uh, during the Saints game on Sunday, we were over at the track. Uh, we met up with D'Amato. Yeah, well. John Arsenio D'Amato, maybe most known for his appearances on the Place to Be Nation flagship show when they do the pay-per-views. And actually, we can give him a plug. He's on the current episode of the show uh, where they talk about Survivor Series uh, 1992, and they end the reboot project, uh, sort of. There's going to be one more episode, uh, and I'm going to host it. Uh, so you'll look forward to that in mid-October. But uh, Wow. Yeah, we met. We met John there, and that was a great time. It's kind of we'll start it. We'll back up a little bit. Uh, I got I arrived in New Jersey on uh, a Tuesday morning. No, Wednesday morning. Wednesday morning. My brother picked me up at the airport in Newark, and uh, he lives in Alpine, New Jersey. We we drove out to there. I met the boys uh, that he lives with and that he coaches. He's a hockey coach out there, and uh, spent some time there. Then the first time I seen Dave was for Thursday night football. I met you over by the Meadowlands, um, just a few minutes from the stadium. And uh, we had some wings and some mozzie sticks and some drinks. We watched the Giants game. And we met Rodney Hampton was there. In, in the, the house. Yeah. Former Giants running back Rodney Hampton was there. What was the name Working of the place, the Dave? What was the name of the place? Uh, Mickey's Pub. Mickey's, that's right. And what, what technically, where was that? That's Lynnhurst, New Jersey. Lynnhurst. But, I mean, it was minutes it's, from the stadium which it's, is it's the area which is east rutherford right technically yeah it's 10 minute ride if that it if would that. it's definitely not 10 minutes from east rutherford i mean yeah I was, maybe not even 10 minutes yeah not five not in a car um, no we met at mickey's and i got there first got us a table uh, ordered some food we're hanging out we watched the giants game now this was the bad part they get me sucked into cheering for the giants because you know <laughs> I, I, whatever i'll just be part of the group i don't care either way but I'm in New York, all Giants. Why not cheer for the Giants? So I did, of course, and they lose devastatingly. Um, yeah, that offside. Yeah, offside and a missed crazy. field goal. Uh, crazy. So then we're trying to pay, and my credit card won't work. But That's it, right. But it's, that. but it's not getting declined. Um, it's saying bank unavailable. Remember on the on the sheet. Yeah. Whatever that means. So then I'm kind of paranoid. I got robbed. I can't get into my app. Um, and then. I'm laying down that night, and I'm like, let me check one more time, and I get right in. So I don't know what the problem was. <laughs> That's scary when you're in your hometown. With yeah, your but I'm away. Yeah. You're away. Maybe they were doing maintenance. Sometimes that happens. Who the hell knows? I got PNC, 
and it could be a pain in the ass once in a while with uh, going in, checking your money and, and shit like that, seeing what you have. And they put sometimes they take money out and put it back in when when things are pending. And, you know, sometimes you, you need to know how much money you have and you don't have. Yeah. At the time. It's, yeah, these banks, is kind of, they kind of uh, play their own little game there. So that, that had to be a little, uh, that kind of screwed up, you know, maybe mentally your night. Like, threw it off, made you leave a little sooner yeah. or something. Even, you know, we, we stayed for the whole game, though. But my car, but, uh, yeah. so my car was, like, in limbo. And that's my car that's tied to my bank. And, and this is what I was thinking, why I was really nervous, too, is because I had said to my wife before I left, I said, I should bring the credit card, like the actual credit card, just in case there's an emergency. I'll have it. And I forgot it. And I was like, OK, you, your bank card is going to be fucked up all weekend. You didn't bring the credit card. You know, you're going to fuck yourself here. You have no money all weekend. But it worked out. It was fine. It, and I have my brother, to mention, you know, you have your brother. You failed to mention you took out your another card and it said Kevin Finnerty on it. Yeah. Not Steve yeah. Yeah. And then they were trying to make me check into a White House. It was a disaster all night. Who long. am I? Where am I going? Yeah. Yeah. But, <laughs> but then luckily I heard Meadows' voice and uh, she Sopranos called, she called reference me back. for li- listeners that don't get it there. Yeah. The whole weekend was Sopranos references, yeah. especially Sunday yeah. when it was Dave D'Amato and I. We were throwing them all over the place. We saw Piomai. Remember, Dave? We saw Piomai. We took a picture with her, yeah. with her remains. <laughs> but we're getting ahead of ourselves. So that was Thursday night. We had a good night. This was cool, Dave. I don't know if I told you this. So when I drove back from the bar on Thursday night, uh, the way I was just following, you know, ways, you know, like I don't know the directions or anything. I'm just following whatever sure. it tells me to do. And it's like, get off here, go over here, go over here. I look up. I'm directly in front of the Brendan Byrne Arena. Wild. And I got to drive the way. So then it took me. All the way around it, basically, and which was cool for me because I had never seen it before. And obviously, SummerSlam '89 and '97 were there, and Pearl Jam concerts and all concerts in general, and Devils and Sabers games, and I just never seen it. So it was a cool arena yeah. to kind of see in person. We were right next to it for FanDuel. I forgot to tell you. I should have brought that up. We were. That's right there. It's yeah. in the same yep. next to it. Yep. And with when Giant I, Stadium and all. When I left on, uh, you know. Thursday and it was there was no one around no cars around so I just kind of going 10 miles an hour just kind of driving around it and looking and you know I'm at that spot where the outside shots always were the like establishment shots and yeah, stuff it's a beautiful building it, yeah. lo- it looks like, almost like it could be modern they, they, uh, they use it now for like staging for big tours like Def Leppard yeah. I know set up in there and uh before yeah they... like the, like the week before they go on tour yeah. to you know rehearsals and shit so i mean having that in your head it's possible that maybe someday it'll reopen because the prudential center in nork i mean that's just as, almost just as close to me i live right in the middle between the two 10 minutes each way uh, it's just not the same it doesn't have that same feel that tailgate that you know i, I don't know something about the meadowlands uh and you know, if they try to implode it, I might lay there in the street and not allow it to happen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's how much I I miss the Meadowlands. So then, uh, my brother and I spent some time together. I was gonna go out and meet Dave Friday, but I'm like, Saturday's gonna be a challenge for me. It's like I better not go into Ooh-hoo. Saturday banged up. And I made the right call because we left Alpine at 12:30. Did it, to go to Asbury Park. We didn't find Bam Bam, which stunk. We looked all over for him, but he was not. Yeah, not there for his. Re- for his remains. Yeah, we couldn't find Bam Bam. But then uh, we didn't get back till like, 1 o'clock a.m. And I swear to God, Dave, the last, like, six steps were the last six steps I could have even possibly made. Like, I drained every ounce. The Pearl Jam concert was, like, on the beach. 
And so you're standing in sand and walking in sand, and that's just a pain in the ass. But we got to see the first Pearl Jam concert in three years, which, you know, it's a, it's a festival set, which means it's not as long as they usually play. You know, they only played for two hours and 20 songs, which I know there's certain fans of certain bands that would die for two hours and 20 songs. Yeah, you but, ain't kidding. But Pearl Jam's more of a three-hour, 30-song band, so it was a little shorter than what they usually do. Um, but they were hap- they were just so happy to to be doing it again. You, you got that feeling. You could just feel the excitement that they were there together and playing again, and I thought it was really ballsy. They played a festival, obviously, and the first three songs were new were, songs. You know, so they came they right out. Any- and, and hit the new material right away. Before the pandemic, were they active or on some kind of a hiatus? So they they had chosen 18, and they took 19 off because they were going to... The album came out in March of 20, and they were going to tour all of 20. Okay. So, I mean, like when the pandemic hit, in the next 14 days, I had three shows I was going to, three program shows I was going to. Yeah, it's bad timing. So the timing was really bad. That's why they were kind of off for three years because they had taken 19 off in anticipation of working all of 20, you know. Now what? When's the garden one that Jerry has tickets to? They have not rescheduled that tour yet. Oh, they have not rescheduled that no. one yet. Okay. You yeah. never know. That could be my first ever uh, Pearl Jam show. I may go to that with Jerry yeah. if he, uh, if he finds someone that likes, uh, it's a real fan and wants to go. I, I, I don't take their, you know, I wouldn't take someone's spot yeah, in that scenario. But, well, if, yeah, if you, yeah, sure. That could be, that could be another excuse to come back up. <laughs> exactly. You know Jerry now, you yeah, know? Yeah, I enjoyed Jerry, even that though Dave great. gets him in trouble. There's a guy named Jerry. Shout out to Jerry that Dave gets in trouble yeah. all the time. Yeah. Jerry's just trying to live his life, and Dave will just get this man in so much I'm, trouble. It's ridiculous. I'm, but, trying to, yeah. I'm trying to tear him down day by day. Man. Yeah, that's Hollywood for you. So uh, <laughs> then Sunday, like I said, uh, John uh, picked me up at my brother's, and uh, we went and had dinner at a Jersey diner, or br- uh, brunch dinner. We had brunch at a Jersey diner. And, uh, fancy, getting fancy on me yeah. with this brunch stuff. Yeah, we had some brunch or breakfast, whatever you want to call it. Lunch, whatever you want to call it. Uh, breakfast. The hours lunch, I brunch. keep, I don't know what it's called. Yeah. <laughs> Dave, Dave was not ready to join the party. He, he needed no, no. a few more hours. <laughs> he needed a few more hours. Especially after, uh, you know, that was Sunday. Friday night, I'm glad you didn't come. We, we It ended up being an all-nighter. Yeah, I made the I right call. That, I, I made the right I call. I did that sure. walk coming out of someone's house in the morning with the and sunlight hit me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I had fun, though. All for not, too. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> so then Sunday we watched the games, and the Saints lo- The Saints sucked. I mean, the Saints weren't competitive for even one play. Uh, I was miserable, but it was fun time with the boys, and we talked wrestling and made Sopranos references and watched football and meet some characters in the sports book. Shout out to Danny and his under bats, his under baseball bats, and his motorized scooter with the battery that's dead every five minutes. Oh, that guy, yeah. Yeah, yeah that guy was right. wild. You think he's a listener? <laughs> if he's a listener, what's up? Uh, I don't know, but yeah. did we did we tell him? I think we told him. Yeah, I just assume we he's a him. listener, anyways. Oh no, we told we told the guy outside uh, Mickey's. I was yes, confusing the that's two. right. Who yeah, he's this like, guy wow. who looked like he was seventy and he was thirty five or something? He was like my age, yeah. younger than me. Yeah, uh, and he was like, "Wow, a professional wrestling podcast. Who would have ever thought of that?" I'm like, "Dude, you have no idea." Thousands of people. <laughs> Imagine yeah. he tries to go search us. Yeah, you know? oh my god, he thinks we're the only one. <laughs> Yeah, only one. But that was a trip to Jersey. It was great, obviously, to finally meet Dave in person. We took some pictures. They're up on the uh, 24-inch podcast uh, group page on Facebook. Did you put one on Instagram, too? I did not. I, mean, I, I will put one on uh, tonight. How yeah, about that? Yeah, Dave will put one when up on the show. Instagram. Maybe you can put one up of me, you, and D'Amato on Instagram. Yeah, I've been doing that for some reason. I go back and forth. I'm either really active on the Facebook 
or the Instagram. Like, I was trying to mix those two together a little bit. At, at, at the number two, the number four, underscore inch, underscore podcast on Instagram. And just search 24inch podcast on Facebook and we'll add you to the group there. All right. One more thing I wanted to mention today before we get into the episode. It's episode 19 uh, of this show. So shout out to uh, my brother Anthony's college hockey number 19. Uh, but the dark side of the ring. I want oh, to talk geez. about this for just real quick, Dave. And I want to I want to set it up like this. I liked the show at first. I thought there were some really fun episodes the first season. I thought that they they balanced tragedy and fun with information. It felt important. You know like okay, so here's a good example. In the first season you had the Gino Hernandez one, right? There's nothing fun about uh-huh. that. It's a, it's a tragedy. It's sad, but it felt important. It found it formative. Interesting. It was interesting. interesting. It was, you know, the mother maybe came to peace with, uh, with, with the murder, whatever. Like it, it felt like it served a purpose. But then also that season they had Herb Abrams and the hookers and the cocaine and fun and entertainment and the wild world of wrestling and you know, it just that was like, very entertaining. Right. So that's what it felt like me to the first season. This balance of let's highlight some of the characters that created this business in a fun and entertaining way while also looking at some of the tragedies that happened and uh, in an important way, a way that we can do something important for the business. Uh, Now this year, and as maybe as the show's gone on, it just feels like these guys who I thought were huge wrestling fans growing up and, you know, whatever. So, so what, Dave? The new thing is, is let's tear down wrestlers. Let's get people fired. Let's get people canceled. Let's. It seems like that ruin people's now, lives and legacies. That's what the show is now. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't want to really get too get too deep in this with, with my opinions on these kind of things. Obviously, uh, the thing is, Ric Flair. Uh, you know, he's on the plane ride from hell, and it's the thing he would do. We would take his pants down and put on his wrestling robe and uh, open the robe like a flasher would do and spin his genitals around. And I'm not like excusing Rick. I'm not going to excuse Ric Flair's behavior. Ric Flair himself hasn't excused his behavior. Not at all. You know, I, I, mean? I was going to say that yeah. that beha- people That's used to do that, that. in high school, high school parties or a little after that. And it was funny for like a second. Then it will get, be getting annoying. You know, I really don't want to be looking at my friend's dick waving around for, you know what I mean? It's funny for a second. So if you do that kind of shit, something could come back and bite you in the ass. And it did. And and I don't know. Who knows what happened? Probably the truth is somewhere in the middle, like it always is. You know what I'm saying? That that he asked the, the woman to, to, t- to touch his penis. And now, but, I now mean, Van Dam is back off his story a little bit, right? Van Dam. Yeah. I didn't see it. I'll be honest. I didn't see it. Um, but apparently Van Dam was one of the ones kind of forwarding the allegations and he sort of backed off his story. You know, Ric Flair said that, look at, I opened up my life a hundred percent for my 30 for 30 and they were looking to expose anything they could and they did and they never made this accusation. Um, but you know, now Tommy Dreamer's in trouble because of the way he talked, you know, that part's really insane. Jim that, Ross, nope. Jim Ross is in trouble. Because he didn't fire him or something, even though Jim Ross even says in there, I did How what I could. Fight? It's it's up to Vince McMahon. Because he was in charge of public talent relations at the time. Yeah. So he's taking some bull black. It's like, 
I don't know. And it's not going to end either because I know that there's another episode coming up um, in a few weeks uh, where they're looking to do the same kind of thing. So, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, it's just the steroid trial. Steroid trial, yep. Yeah, who knows what they're going to do to Hulkster on that one. You know, I mean, they're they're going to say he he not only lied to Arsenio Hall, but he he talked bad about his race and injected him with steroids behind the scenes at the show. Right. <laughs> you and know, he, and, he, who and knows? he killed the band leader, and you know, just yeah. whatever. We found yeah. we found someone who who will say that he saw Hulk Hogan in the dressing room that night. You know, and Hulk had told his friend that. He thought Arsenio, you know, was eating bananas or, you know, just something outrageous like that. Yeah. And and it's only I'm surprised they did it to Flair because Flair is not anymore, but he was kind of like the darling type in the 80s to those type of people, to those type of fans. You know what I mean? So it seems like nobody's getting, uh, you know, to these. I mean, they would never do it to uh, CM Punk or Daniel Bryan nowadays, but you know, in but 10 those years, guys when will they, tell you they're perfect, right? Anyway. Yeah. 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 But I mean, in 10 years when there's some other darlings around, you know, they'll probably start going after the, uh, going after those two for shit. It's just, it's the world we live in, man. Everybody makes mistakes. I've done plenty of things in my life, especially under the influence of alcohol that I'm not proud of and I'm sorry about, but I don't think that should reflect anything that I'm doing currently right now, unless it happened. And by right the way, now. these aren't new stories. That's what, yeah, that's what I'm trying to We've say. We've known about this for 20 years, and now we need to punish these people again? How many times are we going to punish? So in 20 years, they make another documentary of this? We're going to punish them again? Yeah, and how, how about who's serving all that alcohol? Three carts of it. You know what I mean? You can't cut that off. You and can't. Vince McMahon, the owner of the company, is in the plane. No, he was not. It's actually been proven he was not in the okay. plane. Okay, well, that's an accusation yeah, they make. So yeah. They try to say that, and that, yeah. that's been come off as wrong by uh, – Jonathan Coachman, he has no reason to lie. I don't even know if he gets along with the company that well anymore. And he doesn't drink. So he, he has a good memory. And it's uh, it's numerous. I say Vince wasn't on that flight. All right. So there, right there, we already poked a hole in the episode. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, keep come that on, in people mind. just do. I have done. You, you, and again, it's not about I, that to me. It's not about that yeah. to me. Because I don't want to excuse the behavior. You know, like, it's not even about what people did or what people didn't do. It's the reaction to it now. It's now. If he really did that, he should have went to jail back then for yep. a year. And guess what? It would have been forgotten about now. He would have served his time. He would have came back to wrestling, and he would have served his time for what he did and learned from it. I, I would have been okay with that if he really did that. And did you know this part? This girl, I mean, doesn't make it any different from what happened, but everybody has a past. She was a jewel thief with her husband. And uh, that that's coming out. Sold, I don't know how many thousand dollars worth of jewels in San Diego or something. You know what I mean? So, again, one thing doesn't have anything to do with the other, of course. But, I mean, this is no perfect little angel here. You know, who knows? Who knows? But yeah, uh, I'm just disappointed. Shouldn't... I bring it up only to say I'm disappointed that there's a show out there that seems specifically designed to burn wrestlers. Once know? I heard um, uh, the, I heard those guys. One guy's name is Evan, and I can't remember the other jabroni's name. But they were on somebody's podcast, Conrad or something. And they were trying to go, I think it was Nick Gage, someone's house. And he was, once we saw the Trump signs outside, we were literally scared and shaken to ring the doorbell. Yeah, okay. like, come on. Regardless of what sides you're out, give me a break. What kind of world do you, bubble or world do you live in? Insane. Once I heard that, I knew that it, it was, there was trouble on the horizon. And here it is. And again, I don't want to excuse anyone's behavior. It's not about that. It's about these two guys and the fact that they seem to have created a show where their sole purpose is to burn wrestlers. And I don't like it. So fuck that show. 
Speaking, yeah. of, speaking of shows, even though my even though my DVR set right now. <laughs> speaking Can't of shows, it. what's on our show today, Dave? What is on our show? We're going back in time, like Marty McFly, to 1984, and the Spectrum in Philly. Rocky Balboa will be proud of us as the immortal Hulk Hogan defends his WWF championship almost one year into his run against none other than Giant like. The underrated, in my opinion, Big John Stud. Yep, and this episode is a request. We've done requests before. I know we did the Big Boss Man episode, and uh, it's a request of our dear friend, the the departed Calvin. Uh, may he rest in peace. We did that one for him. Yes. And we got a request for the next one. We'll tell you about later. But this one was a request of the guys at the Bigger Than the Game podcast, which is located in Philly. Uh, that's Jeremy Dove and Jose Ruiz. Uh, they're at Bigger TT Game Pod uh, on Twitter. You can find their pod, which connects the past to the present in the world of sports. Uh, so this is their request. They're Philly guys, about our age, Dave. They grew up when we did, and this is the match from their city that they hoped that we would highlight, and we're doing it here for them tonight. Thanks, guys. And this, I think this is the first time ever on a 24-inch podcast. That was. This is the first time I've seen that match or this card. I've never seen it before until now. So, right. great request. Let's get into it. What we're going to do is we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about Big John Stud, and we're going to talk about the other star of the night, and that's the Spectrum. So, let's take a break, and we'll be right back. Thank you for listening to the 24-Inch Podcast. Don't forget to check out my other podcast, The Sportscasters, 10 Years in the Making. You can find it on Twitter, at sports underscore caster, or download episodes wherever you found this podcast. You can find the 24-Inch Podcast on Twitter as well. We're at the number two, the number four, the word inch podcast, at 24-Inch Podcast. Email us at 24inchpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget about our friend Peter Winson and greeting from Allentown. It's at GF Allentown Pod. Twenty-four inch podcast back tonight. We go back to nineteen eighty-four. Uh, Hulk Hogan has been the champion for about ten months, and he makes an appearance at the Spectrum in Philadelphia at a main event against Big John Studd, who's got Bobby Heenan in his corner, but it's not, it's not what you think. It was supposed to be Jesse Ventura, uh, but Heenan is filling in. Dave, I didn't know if you knew this, but is this the start of the relationship between Studd and Heenan here based on this coincidence? Is this why Heenan ends up managing him going forward, or was this already in... Do you know anything about their relationship? Yeah, well, it's... um, uh, Studd is... Fi- Jesse was supposed to be wrestling Hulk. It's Studd filling in... Uh- there for Jesse. Okay. And um, in the garden, Madison Square Garden, New York City, a few weeks prior on September 22nd, uh, it w- I believe that was the first one. Jesse had those uh, those problems with his lungs. Okay, from the, so this from is the right war. happened right here. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he, he couldn't fulfill. He was in the hospital in San Diego. And, um, you know, they brought back, they brought, I think Stud, ha- you know, Stud had been in and out of the WWF a few times, but this is the one time. You know, they brought him back into the territory and coincidentally introduced Heenan 
with him at the Garden, Madison Square Garden, you know, three, two weeks prior to this on September 22nd. So I guess Heenan, no, not that I guess, Heenan was supposed to manage Jesse. That's okay. odd because Jesse certainly does not need a mouthpiece. The two greatest, besides, throw Piper in the mix, you know, Piper, Heenan, and Jesse, the three, two greatest talkers of heels ever, right? Jesse and Heenan together. How would that have went? But, um, yeah. But uh, so that, that's what happened. They brought in uh, the big guy, Big John Stud, back to uh, fill in for uh, Jesse in this big run uh, with Hulk, um, you know, going all over the country. So, uh, yeah, that's how that went down. All right. Well, let's get into it. His name is John William Minton, and he was born February 19th, 1948 in Butler, Pennsylvania. Hmm. Uh, so not that far uh, from the spectrum. And he died on March 20th, 1995, 47 years old. Uh, in Burke, Virginia, had a combination of liver cancer and Hodgkin's disease. He was married to Donna in 1978, and they had three children. Uh, he joined the United States Army, and he served as a military police officer, actually chasing the A-team for a few years. Um, he was before um, before Decker, of course, and uh, he, he, would, he would try to catch the A-team, but he never could. So he left the military police. Uh, and joined wrestling. Uh, he was trained by Killer Kowalski, uh, and he debuted in the ring in 1972 under the name The Mighty Minton um, in the Los Angeles NWA Hollywood Wrestling. Uh, and there he formed a tag team with... Killer Kowalski. Superstar Billy Graham. Ooh, all right. And two, the two remained great friends, Superstar and Big John Studd. In mid-1972, Stud joined the Worldwide Wrestling Federation under the ring name Chuck O'Connor. Uh, and he faced wrestlers such as Chief J. Strongbow and Gorilla Monsoon. Uh, in 1972, he unsuccessfully challenged who for the WWF World Heavyweight Championship? 72, I'm going to have to go with from Caledro, Caledro, Puerto Rico, Pedro Morales. Very good. Uh, later that month at the showdown at Shea. I, 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 butch, I butchered the city in Puerto Rico. I'm sorry to all our great Puerto Rican listeners We're big out there. there. We're big in Puerto Rico, too. Yeah. Good good job, Dave. Uh, later yeah. that month, showdown at Shea. Stug lost to El Olimpico by disqualification, and then he left for the first time in 1973. In 74, he joined Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling, where, again, he's wrestling as Chuck O'Connor. Uh, in 77, excuse me, 78, he teamed up with? How about Ken Batera? Correct, to win the Mid-Atlantic Tag Team titles. Uh, and they'd er go on to a few more uh, deals together. Yep, in early 82, uh, Stud gained several unsuccessful title shots at the NWA World Heavyweight Championship, which was held by? Uh, woo! We can't Correct. say his name anymore. Yeah, we canceled. can't say his name. The canceled Ric Flair. Ric Flair. Um, his second stint in the Worldwide Wrestling Federation was from 60, 76 to 77, uh, where he donned a mask and performed as the Executioner Number Two, uh, teaming with Executioner Number One, which was that was Killer Kowalski. That was Killer Kowalski, and they were called the Executioners uh, on. May 11th, 1976, they defeated Louis Serdan and Tony Parisi to win the WWF World Tag Team Champions. 
I, li- I like that you said that because a lot of people, even people that know wrestling well, WWF 80s well, will say that Stud you know, never held a belt in the WWF, which is Incorrect. not true. Incorrect. Yeah. Uh, they held the championship until October 26, 1976, when they were stripped of the titles after a third executioner who was... Mm. I don't know. Nikolai, Nikolai? Volkov, yes. All right. He interfered. I know he was doing the, the Mongol, the Mongol gimmick too. Lots of Nikolai, you know, he he had a lot of gimmicks there before uh, you know, the eighties boom came. A lot yeah. of people don't know that either. Manager Captain Lou Albano protested it, claiming it was an optical illusion. Uh, but Stug left once more in seventy seven. Uh, also from seventy five to seventy six and eighty to eighty one, he was in the AWA. Um, there he performed, um, I guess as stud, uh, he returned in 80 and 81. Kind of, look, most of these promotions he's in multiple, multiple times, right? So like the, the WWF, he's in four five, six times mid Atlantic. He, he makes a couple different runs from 74 to 83, AWA, a couple different runs, 75, 76, 80, 81. But then Working finally, the territories. yep. Finally from 82 to 86, is his first, I guess, the run that we think of the most. Uh, and that's when he jumped to the World Wrestling Federation in late 82. And, and even that was a little bit of in and out. Like I said before, with yeah, the... Uh, right. No, he was he was there, though, and because uh, he did some of the St. Louis... That St. Louis cage match with Hogan was in June of 84. Maybe he was gone for the summer, and they brought him in and replaced Jesse. I'm not sure, but he, he replaced Jesse. Maybe he was already back. Well... When he joined in 82, he was paired with classy Freddie Blassie, and he became a yes. monster heel, adding the gimmick of bringing a stretcher to the ring and beating his parents so badly that they would be taken out on the stretcher. He became a top challenger for Bob Backlund, uh, and it was a feud uh, with Andre the Giant, uh, where wrestling's true giant earned him main event status. So Stud and Blassie had issued a body slam challenge, Offering ten thousand and later fifteen thousand, any wrestler who could slam him, before boasting that he could not be slammed. Several wrestlers were unsuccessful in the challenge. Andre accepted, was about to slam Stud before Blassie attacked Andre from behind, um, and the the Andre Stud feud raged through '83, and Andre got the upper hand and slammed Stud several times, once with enough force to collapse the entire ring. Is it, Steve? Isn't it amazing? I know you're going to get there in, in a few minutes, but the WWF was able at that time on the same TV to do the same gimmick. They did it with Blassie and stud in 83, the body slam stuff. And then in 85 again, 845 again with Heenan and nobody knew, right? You know, nobody really, it wasn't like, you know, whining and crying. Oh, they just did like nobody knew. They like forgot from week to week or there's so many new fans coming in, in and out, you know, different world. Uh, despite, Stud declaring himself the true giant of wrestling, uh, declaring he could not be slammed, even though he was, of course. And with his feud still raging against Andre, he was also challenging the then-new champion Hulk Hogan for the title. And that brings us to today. So we, usually we do these, we, we get up to date, and that's where we are today. So we're not going to go past it much, like I said, because um, if, if Stud comes back up, then we can get back into it again. Uh, but of course, I did want to kind of talk about I mentioned before um, his wife Donna. They had three children: John Jr., Janelle, and Sean, um, who's apparently a wrestler himself. Uh, in the yeah, he was just right out here uh, working for Tommy, the great Tommy Fierro, 
here in New Jersey on uh, Labor Day weekend. He, he actually, his son, Sean, did, uh, maybe I'll, t- I'll probably tag him in this episode. Maybe he could take a listen. Sean, if you listen, how you doing, buddy? He did the big body slam challenge uh, in, right here in New Jersey on Labor Day weekend with some, awesome. uh, some, yeah, some indie guys. Isn't that cool? Yeah, it's awesome. In the fall of 93, he noticed a lump in his armpit. The doctor found a large tumor in his chest. Uh, he did the chemo thing and all that. Um, eventually, he needed a bone marrow. Uh, the, uh, a bo- uh, no suitable donor was found. He was given a month to live. Uh, he went through a procedure with a 7% success rate. But again, he beat it again. And around September of 94, his lungs collapsed. Point being, he battled and battled and battled. And this thing that should have got him right away in 93... You know, he battled all the way through 95. Uh, so just I remember a Steve, badass warrior till the end is, is my point to bring it up. Yeah, I remember this. Is clear, you know, remember shit clearly in your head somehow. Someone came up to my locker freshman year in high school, an, a friend. I can't remember who it was. Not like a real good friend. And it was like, oh, Dave, uh, yeah, Big John Stud died. I'm like, what? He's like, this wasn't when, you know, a lot of guys were dying. Like Andre was dead. Right. Dino Bravo was dead. You know, it wasn't. It wasn't like, come on. And there was no internet. There was no nothing, you know. And, you know, I don't I don't even think, you know, I wasn't even prescribed, subscribed to Pro Wrestling Illustrated Weekly yet. I started doing that during the, the NWO days or whatever. And uh, I remember just, like, ruined my day. You know, yeah. I, it was like, wow, Big John Stud, come on. Like, how could he have died? And then, uh, I don't know, I went, some somebody, my brother-in-law, somebody saw it in the paper and it, it, later on that day and told me, like, God, oh, that sucks. It was one of the early ones. Well, rest sure. in peace to Big John Studd, a true yeah. legend. I'm excited to talk more about him later when we get into the match. But there's another star tonight, uh, and that star, Dave, is the Spectrum. Uh, they broke yes. they broke ground on June 1st, 1966, and it opened on September 30th, 1967. They renovated it in 86, and it closed October 30th, 2009, and I was in the building that night. We'll get to that. Uh, they finally right. de- demolished it on November 23rd, uh, 2010, and they finished the demolition in May of 2011. The architect of the building uh, was Skidmore, Owings, and Merrill. Um, it opened as a spectrum in September 80, uh, 1967. Philadelphia's first modern indoor sports arena was built to be the home of the expansion Philadelphia Flyers of the National Hockey League and also to accommodate the existing Philadelphia 76ers of the National Basketball Association. The building was the second major sports facility built at the south end of Broad Street in an area previously known as East League Island Park and now referred to simply as the South Philadelphia Sports Complex uh, and now uh, the South Philadelphia Sports Complex includes the Wells Fargo Center, which replaced the Spectrum, uh, Lincoln Financial Field, where the Eagles play, and also uh, the ballpark where the Phillies play as well. You're surrounded by stadiums. It's really cool, actually. Yeah, Yeah, it's really cool. Uh, Ground was broken on the arena, like I said, on June 1st, 67, by Jerry Woolman, and then Philadelphia Mayor James Tate. Uh, The first event at the arena was the Quaker City Jazz Festival, on September 30th, 1967. Uh, the first sporting event at the arena was a 1967, October 17th, boxing match featuring Tony Doyle versus this Philadelphia heavyweight champion, 
Dave, who is it? Down goes uh, Rocky Marciano. Joe Frazier. Down goes oh, Joe, Frazier. Joe Frazier. Okay, yeah, of course. Roddy Piper. He trained him. Yep. Over there. Joe Frazier versus Tony Doyle. Uh, from 67 through 72, 15 fight cards uh, were held at the Spectrum. The 76ers also moved there from Convention Hall. Um, Lou Scheinfeld, the former president of the Spectrum, explained that the name Spectrum was selected to evoke the broad range of events to be held there. The SP for sports and South Philadelphia, E for entertainment, C for circuses, T for theatrics, R for recreation, and UM as um. What a nice building. <laughs> uh, Very clever. Yeah, Schoenfeld also said that a seat in the city's first Superbox initially cost $1,000 a year. For every Flyers game, Sixers game, circus, you name it, you got 250 events for $1,000. Uh, the Flyers won their first ever home game in this arena by defeating... Well, I guess I'll take a guess. Um, uh, Same state. Okay, Pittsburgh um, uh, Penguins. Pittsburgh Penguins won nothing. Yeah. Uh, Bill Sutherland scored the arena's first goal. That's so funny how it's the same state, but it's like different worlds, right? Pittsburgh and Philly. Yep. So far away. The 76ers moved their home games, like I said there. Um, and uh, they started to play there as well. Uh, in the 70s, the venue's location on, on Broad Street and the reputation for fisticuffs that the Philadelphia Flyers had led fisticuffs. to the nickname the Broad Street Bullies, one of the great nicknames in all of sports. Yes, and somebody in wrestling... The Broad Street. Is that Dave? Not Dr. D. Dave Schultz. Hockey player Dave Schultz. Was that his name? Okay. His, uh, he goes the, bo- the Broad Street Bully. No, I'm not sure. Somebody talking. went as that. I think he was on WCW once. Yeah. We'll have to look that up. A plaque inside the Spectrum stated that it held the wor- world record for the fastest conversion from hockey to basketball. Uh, the Spectrum, along with the Met Center and the Forum, was one of the first sports arenas to have a scoreboard with a message board on it. Furthermore, the message boards on the Spectrum scoreboard were the first dot matrix screens in pro hockey or basketball, capable of photos, am- animations, and replay, as well as messages. So really, this arena was always on the cutting edge, always looking to you know break ground. And they did it again in 86 with Arena Vision, which consisted of a 9 by 12 foot rear projection video screens at the top and a four-sided American sign and indicator scoreboard at the bottom. Inside the video screens were General Electric pro- projectors locating 15 feet away uh, for, from the screen. Some capacities, Dave, uh, from 67 to 71 when it opened. It was 15,244 for basketball, which is a little more than the 14,460, 14,646 for hockey because they had the people on the floor. Um, they got that all the way up to 18,168 uh, when it closed in 2009 or 17,730 uh, when it closed for hockey. Uh, the Flyers and 76ers both won championships there. Uh, the Flyers won their first Stanley Cup at the Spectrum on May 19th, 1974, to be defeating Peter Winson's. Uh, Boston Bruins? Yep, in a one nothing game of Game 6 of the Finals in front of a capacity crowd. Perhaps, also, Brutus Beefcakes, Boston Bruins. Yes. Perhaps the most important emotional hockey game or any sporting event ever of any kind ever held there 
came the night of the Cold War on January 11, 1976, when the Flyers became the first NFL, NHL team to defeat the vaunted hockey team of the Soviet Central Red Army, 4-1. to one. Wow. Um, in 1975, the Philadelphia Flyers also won the Stanley Cup, defeating... Give me the state. New York. <laughs> uh, it's either one of two. I'll go with the Islanders. Oh, you're forgetting one. Right. You're forgetting the Buffalo Sabres. Oh, all right. I'm thinking New York. New York. You know, I'm thinking of New York. You're thinking city. a city, but you asked for the yeah, state. Yeah, yeah. Even though Long Island's not Long Island's not part of the five boroughs. Um. Okay. Yes, yeah, Buffalo Sabres. The the Flyers competed in the Stanley Cup in the Spectrum in '74, '75, '76. 80, 85, and 87. And the 76ers played in the finals in 77, 80, and 82, and 83. The 1976 and 92 All-Star Game for the NHL was there. And the 1970 and 76 NBA All-Star Game uh, were there. Also, the EHL, which is the uh, American Hockey League, the the, the league before the NHL, uh, so like AAA baseball, also won their first Calder Cup title in front of a sold-out crowd of 17,380 on June 10th, 1998. So not only an NHL championship, but also a Calder Cup championship there. Uh, the only visitors to win a Stanley Cup and NBA championship at the Spectrum were the 1976 Montreal Canadiens and the 1980 basketball team from California. Uh, LA Lakers. LA Lakers. Um, the Spectrum is the only venue... Um, to host the NBA and NHL All-Star Games in the same season. And also hosted that year's uh, Final Four. More about that in a second. Uh, the Spectrum was used for many of basketball tournaments, including Big Five games, which is the five D1 college basketball programs in Philadelphia, the University of Penn, Villanova, Temple, and so on. Also eight Atlantic 10 Conference tournaments. And it was the site of the 1980 and 1990 NCAA East Regional. Uh, which was the site of one of the greatest and most famous basketball games of all time between Duke and Kentucky when Christian Leitner hit the famous last-second shot uh, to win the game, a shot that's I think still I've seen, seen footage. all the time. Yeah. You, you absolutely have. The yeah, long pass by Grant Hill. It's caught by Leitner. He makes the one dribble and turns and scores. Uh, one of the great, um, really one of the great, great basketball games ever. It also hosted Wait, What year was that? 92. 92. The 76 and 81 Final Four, which were both won by Bob Knights. Mm. Bob Knights. Um, Bob Knight. Isn't that Mo from Men on a Mission? Is that his real name? No, the Indiana Hoosiers. Uh, oh, wow. Who, who are they? Uh, Indiana, Indiana's favorite, Bobby. Bobby the Brain Heenan. <laughs> yes. Let's talk yeah. a little bit about concerts. We love to do this. Uh, many concerts were at this uh, were at the Spectrum beginning in the '60s and all the way to 2009, uh, including Cream, who performed during their farewell tour there. Um, also, Led Zeppelin performed their second American tour in July of '69. Uh, Jimi Hendrix performed there on April 12, 1969. The Doors performed a 103-minute show, a recording of which was later released as The Doors Live in Philadelphia. Very cool. The Grateful Dead played the Spectrum 53 times, by far the most of any act. Uh, Brian Adams performed there. Fish performed two shows 
1997. Yes, played the Spectrum 28 times. Uh, Elvis played the Spectrum. You know, Go ahead. Yes, I mean, I could be way off on this. I mean, obviously, I know some of the songs. I know Owner of a Lonely Heart, of course. Mm-hmm. But I don't think of them as like with the, with the other artists you, you were naming. Like, bang, bang, you're not knocking them off. Then like, yes. You know, you think they're uh, kind of they're bigger, I guess, in the early 70s. I guess. Yeah, b- bigger than I, mean, I, I could think of them doing like three nights at the Beacon Theater. You know what I mean? Like something like that. Yeah. yeah in the That's 70s, the they were in an arena act. Yeah. And they took advantage of it in Philly. Jeez, 28 times. Yeah. Always something new to learn. Elvis played five shows between 71 and 77. His final performance there was May 28, 77, which is just months before he died. Yeah. You know, my parents had tickets um, to a show post after he died. Wow! Uh, obviously, they didn't go. His ghost didn't come out. It was at the Nassau Coliseum. Wow, that's and, wild. Uh, they, uh, yeah, they had like real good seats too. And I'm like, it, it it actually came up on a car ride. I was taking him to Shoprite recently, grocery store here in New Jersey, and I'm like, where is that ticket? It's like, oh, it's in my office in the desk. I'm like, it's not there. I've been going in that office since I was six, looking in your drawers. And say, oh, it's there. I'm like, who knows how much money we can make on eBay from that? It's not. It, it's not there. No, it's definitely not, not there. <laughs> he thinks it is. He thinks it's there. Aerosmith played 23 times between 76 and 94, including a notorious performance in the late 70s in which rowdy fans injured the band members with glass bottles and M80s. Jesus. Wow. That's kind of fucked up. Pink Floyd pay- played the Spectrum a bunch of times. Uh, they play- The last played two shows there uh, in 77 during their Animals tour. Uh, but Roger Waters fell ill. And did most of the show after a painkiller injection. However, wow. the painkiller wore off, and was and he was taken to the hospital and missed the final encore of Us and Them, where second guitarist Snowy White had to fill in on bass guitar. Unbeknownst to the crowd, this was the first time that the rest of Pink Floyd ever performed a song live without Waters. Uh, although they would go on without him, of course, starting in '86. I think I would need a painkiller injection if I ever saw Pink Floyd live. I'm just Now, kidding. this is really interesting. Walt Waters' experience performing while ill at this venue would be documented on Comfortably Numb. Which is, there you go. Which is a pretty famous song, I think, right? Yeah, that's a good song. <laughs> I'm not, yeah, I kid about Pink Floyd because it's no, so, like, not my style. It's not my personality. I have, I have like, a lively... Per- Motley Crue goes, like, perfect with me. But... So I kid, I do like some Pink Floyd songs, but you have to be in the mood. You're missing the you point. You definitely though, have I to think. be in the mood for it. You're missing yeah, exactly. You're missing the point a little bit that we're talking about this famous venue and this famous thing happened that was documented in a really famous thing. I guess. Yeah, comfortably not one of the yeah. most famous rock songs ever. Sure, I get it. All right, the Who performed there as well, um, including a show that was documented in a famous audio bootleg of their Quadrophenia performance. Uh, a CD has been released of John. At Whistle's performance on March 15, 1975, when he opened for Humble Pie. Uh, 78, the last tour of the original Black Sabbath lineup, opening for them was? 72, last. Nope, uh, 78, the last tour, oh, Black Sabbath. So we're, get, we're getting into my era a little bit. Open by, open for- very famous, this band supposedly kicked their ass every night. It's a very famous thing in rock. I was going to say the Scorpions. I don't know. No, bigger than that. Bigger than that. Bigger than that. Okay. Uh, Often considered possibly the best American rock band ever from California. Oh, Van Halen. Van Halen. 
Uh, Genesis also regularly played the venue during the Phil Collins era. Uh, but then they went on in uh, 92. They played the uh, Veterans Stadium. Um, they also put out something called Three Nights in Philly. A lot of concerts, not only there, but albums becoming part of them as well. Uh, Queen, the Jacksons, Dio with Twisted Sister as the opener. Yeah, all right. Uh, a We're concert, my era now. concert was released, a concert film called A Special from the Spectrum. Uh, and Dio returned in 86, also filmed it, released it called Sacred Heart, the video. There must be something about the, la- the layout and the acoustics there that lend it well to concert videos and CDs. There's just a million of them. Yeah. Um, Metallica performed there in 89 with a pro shot show. Uh, during the Damage Justice Tour. Guns N' Roses in 88, opening for Aerosmith, and another show in 91, and a third show canceled in 02. On June- oh, that one. Uh, My friend... Uh, yeah, you know that uh, one. Yeah, I can tell a story about that one. Me, Soup, and Soup is Jerry's brother, and uh, he has actually has a question this week coming up later in the 24-inch podcast. But um, we went to see Guns N' Roses. Uh, they had just come back with, you know, with Axel's line up, with Buckethead, with the... KFC box on his head. It's 2002, and uh, they did the MTV Awards, and they played the Garden on a Thursday, and we went and everything. You know, everything was pretty good. And then um, Soup, who's a diehard Guns N' Roses fan, was going to the the Spectrum that weekend. And I'm a regular metal sludge reader even back then. And uh, they said, you know, Axel was in New York still watching the Knicks game or something, and they they were going to fly him over. Or something, but uh, it never happened, and and uh, they just trashed the, uh, totally trashed the. You know, it it was the night before they were going to do two nights. One was going to be in the new arena in Philly, and then one was going to be in the Spectrum. And there was a riot in in the new arena, the I guess the Wachovia Center. And Soup didn't know about it. And I called him up the morning of the show. He was getting ready to go to Spectrum. I'm like, dude, there's no there's no show. The, the, the tour's canceled. Like that's it. There was a riot last night. And, you know, he thought I was ribbing him. Wow. We thought, yeah, we talk about it to this day. <laughs> On the night of December 9th, 1980, after learning of the assassination of John Lennon following a performance there the night before, Bruce Springsteen opened the show with a statement regarding Lennon. He said, it's a hard thing to come out and play, but there's just nothing else you can do. With members of the E Street Band in tears, Springsteen and his band put out a 34-song marathon, which ended nearly three and a half hours later with the cover of Twist and Shout. The Spectrum was the first arena Springsteen ever played at in 1976. In the following years, Springsteen would become one of the Spectrum's most popular concert acts, performing 42 shows between 76 and 09. Um, Rush performed there um, as part of their Grace Under Pressure tour. Uh, Van Halen performed there with Gary Sharon. I'm surprised we needed to mark that occasion. Uh, Whitney Houston... He used to perform there on her successful Bodyguard World Tour. Yeah, I'm a fan. All right, and this is uh, this is what I, this is the lead I've been burying here. The last public events at the legendary arena took place on October 27th and 28th, and 30th and 31st, 2009, by Pearl Jam. The band came on the stage each night after a video montage of memorable moments in the spectrum, followed by the Rocky theme music. Over four nights, Pearl Jam performed 103 different songs with its final night on Halloween lasting over three hours and 35 minutes and including 41 songs, including Whip It by Devo, and they all dressed up like the Devo guys with the things on their head. 
Um, okay. It was an amazing, amazing, amazing run. Unfortunately, I was working on the weekday shows. I didn't get to go to the 27th and 28th. Uh, but I was there for the weekend ones, 30th and 31st. And at the same time, the Philadelphia Phillies were in the World Series against the Yankees. So it was an amazing atmosphere down there. We took the train in, and the train was split with Yankee fans, Philly fans, and Pearl Jam fans. It was wild. Um, it was an unbelievable scene down there. Uh, the last night, I sat right in front of the owner in the owner's box, and both of the shows are great. Um, the, the the 31st was long and fun and had goofy things like Pearl Jam playing Bugs for the first time and playing Whip It by Devo and this song called Sweet Lou, which Jeff sings. Uh, but the night before was really the one where they just were perfect, uh, where everything they did was perfect and they played so well. But it was uh, it was the end of uh, the spectrum, uh, thanks to Pearl Jam. And we and before we before we you just reminded me of before that uh, yeah speaking of Whip It about uh, in my twenties I had a one night stand with some chick you know and we drank a lot whatever and in the morning you wake up you know you're you know, you're you have a headache whatever her phone kept going off and her ringtone was Whip It. So I just kept hearing over and oh, somebody kept calling her over and over and you just wake up and you realize what, where you are and what you did. And it just like I was doing the walk home, you know, and that song was just in my head. That's I'll always relate that Hilarious. to that moment. Yeah, I think it was it was before 09. There's one before this. one last event at the Spectrum I wanted to mention, and that's the 1990 SummerSlam, uh, which, of course, was held there and. It's highlighted by one of the great matches of all time, the best two out of three for the titles of the Hart Foundation and Demolition, which before, of course, included the promo by Bret Hart, where he mentioned Two Hearts by Phil Collins, which later became the first song I ever sang to our dear Paula, who won't be with yeah. us tonight. Uh, but that, Conspicuous by her absence. But that was all born at the Spectrum that night and I in think 1990. That, that, that match is... Is kind of what got us like bullshitting a lot. Yeah, and it's also Dave. We have to mention it. Sadly, it's also where the whole roster spent hours looking for Sweet Sapphire and just couldn't find her, including Hacksaw Jim Jim Duggan, who look at every four dust, look at everywhere for her. Sorry, dust. (laughs) But then she ended up sneaking out the back door. Yeah, she left out the back door with the Million Dollar Man. So what an angle! Uncle Tito got a big kick out of that when Dusty was chasing the limo. Sapphire. Oh, it was fantastic. <laughs> and Earthquakes music starts playing. I can't wait to do that show. Me and Chet are obsessed with SummerSlam. It's our favorite. For some reason, it's our favorite Slam. I don't know why. It's a great show. But uh, I can't wait yeah, to redo it. You know, a lot of people, a lot of people don't like it. But uh, oh, I love it. I love it. I can't uh, wait to do it next year. It's a good Hulk match too. Good Hulk angle. And a very huge angle that that yeah. summer. That was Hulk summer. I like how, I like how he kind of buried the warrior at that time, man. You know, I would have done the same thing. But um. Also, of course, Rocky Balboa and Apollo Creed. I don't think it was really filmed there, but the outsides uh, were at the Spectrum. Big Philly, fight. Big you know? fight. Yep. Big fight. And then the Rocky, Rocky statue lost. was out there for years. Yep. Uh, King yes, of the Ring, sir. 95. <laughs> um, one, two, three, four episodes of Monday Nitro. And one, two. I was at probably two out of the four there. Yeah, let's say April of 97, November of 97, and then March of 98, and October of 99. I was at November of 97 and March of 98. And then two Thunders, June of 98 and February of 2000. Mm, no, June of 98, I saw Nitro at Nassau, so I don't I don't think I, I would. No, I definitely didn't go over uh, to Philly. I saw the crew there a couple times. 
Well, there it is. That's the spectrum. So, Dave, you know what that means, buddy. Means I know what I, it means. It means I get a break because it's time for me to turn over the microphone to my tag team partner, Hollywood Dave Rollins, to tell us where Hulk was in October of 1984. Take it away, pal. Okay, I thought I, thought I was going to be able to go take a pee, but it's, it's, it's my time to shine here. Okay, September 22nd, 1984. Madison Square Garden, New York City, in front of 19,000 fans. It's supposed to be, like we said earlier, Hulk Hogan defending the title against Jesse, the body Ventura. Jesse went down with blood clots in his lungs, unfortunately. He was in the hospital. And Big John Studd filled in and introduced none other as the debuting Bobby, the brain Heenan, coming in from the AWA in Minnesota to the WWF for the very first time. September 22nd, 1984. By the way, Stud won the match uh, by a countout over the Hulkster that night. Next night, September 23rd, the Met Center, Minneapolis, Minnesota, like we just mentioned, in front of 7,500 people. Hulk Hogan teams up with none other than Minnesota favorite Maurice Mad Dog Vachon, working as a face here, going over George the Animal Steel and Big John Stud. September 28th, the Keel Auditorium in St. Louis, 4,200 fans go uh, are there to see Hulk Hogan defend his title and win over Mr. Fuji, the devious one. Still donning the tights at that time. September 29th, again in St. Louis at the Chase Hotel. This is a morning taping. This is odd for the WWF. They didn't do much of this. It's a taping for Wrestling at the Chase. And uh, this is on September the 29th, but it would air a month later on October 28th on All-American Wrestling as Hulk Hogan goes over Gentleman, Jerry Valiant, the third Valiant brother. September 29th, Leadover, Maryland at the Cap Center. Listen to this one. In 84, Hulk Hogan over Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff in a steel cage. What a prelude there, huh, Steve? Mm -hmm. To what was coming later on. Uh, the next night, the 30th, in Chicago, Illinois, at the UIC Pavilion. You think of NWA when you think of that arena. This is uh, prior to the Rosemont. George the Animal Steel goes over Hulk Hogan by a countout. October 1st, Scranton, Pennsylvania. I like this one. Hulk Hogan goes over Kamala. Mm. Now, I didn't know that any... I thought all the 84 Hogan-Kamala matches, Kamala got subbed because he left around this time. But... I know that he did the tapings uh, the next night, next two nights in Poughkeepsie. So I think this match, there's no reason why it shouldn't have happened. I don't know if we could get any confirmation on it. But if he did the tapings a couple days later, I think this Hogan Kamala 84 may be the only one that happened. Okay, a few days later, October 5th in Atlanta, only 2,000 were in uh, that guy's country. Woo, whatever his name was. Hogan over Big John Stubb by countout. And then we're back to Hulk country, Boston Garden, October 6th, a big sellout, 17,000, as the first ever meeting between Rowdy, Roddy, Piper, and Hulk Hogan. Piper wins by countout. October 9th, Ottawa, Ontario at the Civic Center, Hulk Hogan over Intercontinental Champion Greg the Hammer Valentine. October 11th, Pittsburgh in front of 11,000 stud over Hogan on a countout. And that finally brings us to our big night. Right here on a 24-inch podcast, October 13th, Philadelphia at the Spectrum, 18,000 sold out for Hogan and Stud. Beautiful job, Dave, and I reward you with the opportunity to now take a pee. As we will take a break, mm -hmm. and we'll be right back to break mm -hmm. down the October 13th, 1984 card at the Spectrum, and also we'll read the news. So let's take a break. Dave's got a pee. We'll be right back. Woo! 
24 inch podcast back we are covering a special request tonight my good friends over at one of the great sports history podcasts out there today bigger than the game at bigger tt game pod Jeremy dove and jose ruiz requested this one at the spectrum before we get to the spectrum dave we got to read the news October 1st, 1984, Peter Uberoth replaces Bowie Kuhn as the sixth commissioner of Major League Baseball, and he has a four-year tenure uh, when he's, he's replaced in 1988. So congratulations, Peter. You're in charge of baseball. Not a bad run. Yeah. Uh, October 2nd, three cosmonauts return after a record 237 days in orbit. That reminds me of Ghostbusters when they're trying to get in the elevator and the old man's there with the, with the cigar. What are you, supposed to be some kind of a cosmonaut? We'll take the next one. <laughs> October 2nd, also due to a Major League Baseball umpire strike, the first four NLCS games are played with replacement umpires. Uh, and this is October 2nd, Game 1. The Chicago Cubs uh, beat the San Diego Padres 13-0. Uh, but we'll see as we get into the month. If it's the Cubs who end up in the World Series or the Padres. Mm. Mm. What's your prediction, Dave? Uh, I'll go with the Padres. Okay. Uh, October 2nd, Richard Miller becomes the first former FBI agent to be charged with espionage. Sounds like a plot right out of the Americans. Yeah, or a disease. Uh, October 2nd, again, Papa John's Pizza is founded in Jeffersonville, Indiana. We go on to become the fourth largest pizza delivery restaurant chain in the United yeah. States, which is interesting because right around this time in 84, Pizza Hut was run by the eventual boss at uh, WCW, right? More, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Heard. Jim Heard. Jim Heard. One time I, I keep telling these, these stories of uh, women for some reason. Uh, maybe, maybe I need to get laid. Uh, this week, yeah. <laughs> but um, wow, there, a, was an, there was well, miracles. It's been about, yeah, it's been about a, been about a week. But uh, there's, <laughs> or kind of loosely. What, that's another story. But um, there was a, an ex-girlfriend of mine, not a one night stand, an actual real girlfriend. We'll leave all names out. That uh, sent me a heart-shaped uh, pizza from um, uh, Papa John's on a Valentine's Day, and I had no idea. And I kept sending the guy away, and so he he wouldn't say, "Hey, this is from so and so." For you, happy Valentine. He just was handing me this pizza. I didn't open it. I didn't know it was heart shaped. It just went on and on and on, and it, it was such like a, a, a going on gag that somebody else. I told the story so much. Somebody else were watching Raw at Uncle Tito's house. You know, a few weeks later, and somebody else sent me one. So I called my girlfriend up. I go, ah, funny. She go, that wasn't me. <laughs> somebody else sent me a freaking heart shaped pizza. What, yeah. One time. It wasn't Valentine's. It was another occasion. Kurt Cobain sent me a heart-shaped box. Oh, oh, yeah. oh. I yeah. would have sent that right back to him, that crybaby. I did. That CM Punk rock and roll. Yeah. I'm just kidding. October 3rd, the U.S. government shuts down due to a lack of an agreement over the passage of bills. Sounds a lot like the current uh, U.S. government. Yeah. Uh, October 7th, the striking umps return for Game 5 of the NLCS, where the San Diego Padres win the pennant. There you go. How about that? Yeah. Three games. I got lucky. 
Three games to two over the uh, over the Cubbies. Uh, Walter Payton passes Jim Brown as the NFL's career rushing leader, and he'd hold the title uh, until it was broken by Chicago, or excuse me, Dallas Cowboys running back. Um, oh, uh, Emmett Smith. Emmett Smith. And Walter Payton, uh, dear personal longtime friend of none other than Scott Hall. Yes. Yeah, they go Summer way back. Slam 94. They're yeah. really good buddies. Uh, Scott took his death really hard. I know that was one of his. The sweetness. Yeah. Sweetness. Who, who, who would ever thought that sweetness would, would pass away so early and we still have the great Scott Hall with us? Wild kidney disease, I believe. Yeah, what are you going to do? Uh, the 18th Country Music Association Awards are highlighted, highlighted by an Alabama victory. Uh, Nick Saban was in the band back then. Mm. Yeah, it's a sports joke Dave's not going to get. Mm. All right. That's uh, why I give a hmm. <laughs> mm. uh, let's see what else. October 11th, the first spacewalk by a woman, Dr. Catherine D. Sullivan. Very proud of her. Mm. October 11th, the U.S. vice presidential candidates debate between Geraldine Ferraro, Democrat, and George H.W. Bush, Republican in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Of course, uh, Geraldine Ferraro was the first female vice president nominee. Um Back then in 84, they won one state. Uh, did not go well for, for that ticket. Yeah, good. They won Minnesota and the District of Columbia as well. Uh, let's see. On October 12th, the IRA bombs the Grand Hotel in Brighton, where British Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher is staying. Five die, but not Margaret, of course. Uh... October 13th, the STS-41G mission lands at Kennedy Space Center. They're home safe. Uh, October 14th, the Detroit Tigers beat the San Diego Padres four games to one in the 81st World Series. We never did hear who the Tigers beat in the ALCS. I don't know why that wasn't covered. They were only, yeah, interested, in the, they were only interested in the NLCS, apparently. Uh, but the uh, My father would be happy about that. Yeah, the ti- yeah, your dad, big National League guy, right? Huge. Huge National League guy, all the way back Huge. to the to the New York Giants. The Giants, the New York Giants. He never left. It's kind of, I guess it's kind of maybe kind of like me with Hulkamania, like how I can't get into these AEW jabronis and and uh, yeah, I did like the uh, you know the Attitude Era guys. You know, you can't you can't deny them. But uh, you know, it's still day one Hulkamania. But luckily for you, Dave, I know exactly who the Tigers beat. In the ALCS, and I will give you one million dollars if you can name that team in your first. If guess. you had, if you had one million dollars, I'd be in Buffalo, New York, right now doing this podcast in person. <laughs> so I'll take that. I'll take that with the with the grain of salt, but I will take a guess. Um, in '84, in a National League. No, the American League. We knew oh, the, the American Nas- League. I'm sorry. We know yeah, the they're, National they're not, League. The Padres beat the Cubs. The yeah. Okay. Uh, so who did the Tigers beat? Oh, give me a hint. I need, I they need won hint. the 1985 World Series. Oh. And they won the the 2015 World Series, which you should know. Oh, they beat the Mets. Yes. Mets lost in 2015. Yes. The Angels? No. Not the, Angels. the Kansas oh. City Royals. No million dollars for you. All right. No million dollars. You lost out on the million dollars. Or 10 bucks. Uh, October 17th, the Nobel Prize for Chemistry was awarded to Bruce Merrifield, one of Dave's favorite scientists. Good guy. October 20th, New York Islanders, Mike Boston. Believe the science, Steve Bennett. I do. You got to believe the science. Followed all the time. 
which is why I don't mask. October 20th, Islanders <laughs> Mike Bossy, his 30th career hat trick. He had four goals that night. Uh, Mike Bossy uh, is very, very high in the top five of goals per game, uh, but knee injuries uh, derailed his career, unfortunately. October 27th, or 22nd, excuse me, NFL quarterback Ken Stabler, Kenny the Snake. Before there was a Jake the Snake, there was Ken the Snake. Whoa, how about that? He retires after 17 seasons. Also that day, Paul McCartney releases Give Me, Give My Regards. Kenny hang with Jake the Snake, though, with the drinking and the drugs. Maybe. Well, nobody can hang with Jake, but he's a partner. He's also a partner. He wasn't on the 86 Mets, was he? No, he's a football player. Oh, uh, a football player. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, well, he wasn't on the, um, well, I can't think, but nobody, nobody matched the 86 Mets with party. Yeah. The nineties Cowboys had the, the little white house where they'd have the hookers and stuff. Maybe oh, okay. that would have been, that would have been the call. That would, that's where you should have went. Uh, October 22nd, <laughs> Paul McCartney releases, give me, give my regards to broad street. Um, which mm. will, our event is on broad street tonight. Yeah. Uh, October 23rd, NBC airs BBC footage of Ethiopia, Ethiopian famine. Which is oddly worded. <laughs> Headlock on hunger, brother. Yeah. Uh, oh, we always have to have one of these. Uh, one of these in here, right? October twenty fifth, King Bow Down opens the Museum for Modern Art in Brussels. Bobby Heenan was a big fan of that because uh, he always wanted everyone to bow down to the king. Right. He did, but you see, the thing is, my my mother said, you never buy no king, you never buy no queen. This country never had no king. This country never had no king. JYD hated it. The only, the only person he would bow to is the Lord above. That's right. I'll take it, brother. Now, this is a big film, Dave. A big one. You ready? October 26th, directed by James Cameron, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger and Linda Hamilton. Oh. The Terminator Part 1 and is released. That, I, I get heat for this from a lot of people. This is my favorite Terminator movie, more so than two. Oh, I mine. love two. Mine's two. I love two. I don't not like it. But a lot of people our age got into the franchise in 91 when two came out. Uncle Tito and Aunt D had in their VCR collection one. So since, 80, you know, probably didn't have it in 84, but 85, 86-ish, I was watching the VHS of Terminator 1 with uh, uh, – What's her face? Linda Hamilton's boobs uh, clipped out. You would either pause it or tape over it with like the news or something. So then when you taped over something, it would go through that like thing after after you stop taping over it, where it would, the, the screen would right. be all messed up. And yeah. yeah, so it would screw up the movie a bit. But I had it that way, and it, it, it was better than nothing. And I love, 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 love Terminator One. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. Glad we brought it up. All right, I'm gonna end with a personal note. Uh, October 31st. 1984, I went trick-or-treating with my Grandma Paula, dressed as Mr. T. I always remember that Halloween because I was Mr. T, and I always remember it because it was the one and only time, for whatever reason, I went trick-or-treating in my Grandma Paula's neighborhood. And I mentioned it only to end the news and also to say on this day, September 23rd in 1995, 26 years ago, my dear Grandma Paula passed away. So, regards to Grandma Paula, uh, we will dedicate this episode to her. As we move God on, bless. that is the news for October of 1984. Very nice memory. All right, Dave. Uh, that brings us to the card uh, from the Spectrum, of course, which it's an interesting card in the sense that a lot of these guys on it today have yet to be mentioned in an episode 
of the 24-inch podcast. It's from the Spectrum, of course, in Philadelphia, October 13th, 1984. It aired on the Prism Network. Uh, Dick Graham was the main man over there, and he oh my goodness, he would do the show with Gorilla Monsoon, which is a treat for us. And it was eighteen thousand strong, which was a sellout that night in uh, Philadelphia. Now, most of these matches, and I'll tell you the ones that don't, as opposed to the ones that do. But most of these matches will eventually air on Primetime Wrestling, the May twenty eighth, nineteen eighty five episode of the show. A little- a little crusty, right? They would do that. Yeah. Uh, nine matches tonight. Um, and it also features not only the world champion Hulk Hogan, but also the newly crowned Intercontinental Champion. Um, Greg Valentine had just won that belt very recently. Actually, this day, this is a Saturday night, October 13th. That morning, or whenever it aired in your market, is when they showed the match. Right. It, uh, it, took, it was taped in late September. In uh, I believe Brantford, Ontario, it was, a, it was actually a strange taping, a strange title change on All Star Wrestling, not Championship. It was the All Star was the equivalent to Wrestling Challenge, and um, yeah, it was taped in late September, and it was this morning. So the the people in Philly, if they watched uh, you know on TV twenty nine that morning, they knew we had a new Intercontinental Champion. If they did not watch it, if they missed it, if they overslept like Hollywood Dave Rollins, then uh, they were surprised to see Greg wearing Tito's belt. Yeah, like you said, the the title change aired on October 13th, 84. It was actually in London, Ontario. London, Ontario. Yep, uh, Canada. And it was Greg the Hammer Valentine defeating Tito Santana, uh, who had held the belt for 226 days. Greg will hold it for 285 days before losing it to Tito in Baltimore. Um, And and, and then he has a 217-day run, uh, which is interrupted by Savage who had a 414-day run. So essentially, from 1980, February of 1984 until March of 1987, the belt was held either by Tito Santana, Greg Valentine, or Randy Savage. Love it. All right, let's get it started. First match, the curtain jerker, and they're truly uh, jerking the curtain here. It's Bob Bradley versus Rene Goulet uh, in this opening <laughs> match. Um Look, if you're getting in late, kids, uh, take your time finding your seats. You know, I don't think you need to rush back. You know, get yourself a drink and a snack and settle in because these guys go for 11 minutes and 17 seconds before Rene Goulet wins the match with a claw hold. Sort of old school there. Any thoughts on this one, Dave? Yeah, I do. Uh, It's so hard to grade these these type matches because... Yeah, we won't bother. Modern fans will never understand it because in the sense of the word preliminary matches, that's what these are. They're meant to go get popcorn or settle into the building and, you know, maybe have another beer in the bar or go to McDonald's and have a burger before. You know, you knew, you know, the Hulkamania era started to blossom. This started to go away a little bit. You might have one match like this at the beginning of the second match you might get, you know, Bruce the Barber Beefcake or somebody like that. But in, in 84 still... You know, it was late 70s, early 80s. You had a couple of matches at the beginning that they, they were just like this. They were preliminary matches. They were for to walk around the building, talk with people. It wasn't meant to be anything but but preliminary. And um, they announced uh, Bob Bradley as returning to the area, returning to the territory. So 
watching this, like I said before, I never watched this card before. I thought, you know, he was going to go over. But uh, no, after the big introduction, he goes, loses to the 52-year-old veteran, Rene Goulet, in the spectrum. You know, you, can't, you, you just can't grade these matches because they're ungradable. You can't give it a dud. You can't give it two stars because it's not, it's not meant to be anything. And it wasn't. You know, pe- and it wasn't. People, <laughs> it worked people out don't perfectly. understand that. It, you, you were there. People bought their tickets for one or two matches. That's just the way. Even even into the even into the mid eighty, you know, into our era a little more. That's just the way it was. The second match is a little bit better, I thought. Uh, Steve Lombardi versus Ron Shaw. Uh, Ron Shaw wins at nine twenty eight on a sunset flip. I thought the crowd was really hot for this, believe it or not. And I thought that both guys worked really hard. Um, I thought this was much better, much better than the first match. And it was uh, very decently done by these guys. And Ron Shaw gets the win with a sunset foot. Dave, what are your thoughts? Yeah, this one, uh, yeah, uh, uh, Lombardi was still working as a, a baby face here. Uh, yeah, well before the Brooklyn Brawler gimmick and all that. Just a guy in the yeah, company. Yeah, well, well before. You know, he, but he, as Lombardi, he, he turned uh, heel not too long, long after this. But... Um, uh, yeah, Ron Shaw. That's the uh, big Ron Shaw is the guy with the, right here at the Spectrum about a year later so with that phantom submission with David San Martino. I don't think we'll ever talk about this again because I don't think Hulk was on the card that night. Um, uh, San Martino, I guess, was upset with his whatever his bookings or whatever, whatever it was, and uh, he was supposed to win the match, but he's wrestling Ron Shaw and and he just the ref calls for the belt, kind of almost like a Montreal screw job or something like that, but he screwed himself. It's a very, like, the announcers don't know what's going on. So when I think of Ron Shaw, I always think back uh, to that with David San Martino. A very interesting situation there. Who we'll get to uh, in a minute. Uh, we'll get to David yeah, in a minute. David yeah, David San Martino is on the card tonight as well. And, uh, yeah, an- another another match for, you know, people filing into the building. Get your pretzels, get your hot dogs, get your beer. You know, maybe try to go get an autograph from Dick Graham or something. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought that was, I thought this was the better of the two, you know. Yeah, yeah. If, if we're, yeah, I mean. Whatever. Yeah. All right, the next two now are the 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 Moon Dogs split up. So the first one is Dave Barbie versus Moon Dog Rex, uh, who wins at three thirty with an elbow drop. Not exactly savage from the top rope, though. Believe me. Uh, again, I mean three thirty. Uh, it was interesting because the next match goes eleven thirty four. Um, so the one Moon <laughs> Rex had an easy night. And Spot had to earn his money a little bit with Mr. Stiff, David Stamartino, but we'll get yeah. to that. But Moondog Rex goes over 330. Uh, yeah, Dave eh. Barbie, I got some thoughts, on, big thoughts on this match, Steve, actually. Go ahead. Uh, one, of my, one of my old, long, boring stories. Maybe not boring, depends who you are. But um, me and Tim, friend of the show, Tim Mangione, you're going to love this. Glad you're feeling and better, Tim. Tim. Glad you're feeling better, Tim. We got, we got him into questions uh, coming up later on. You know, the emails. And um, we went to see Paul Stanley from KISS at an art exhibit. Tim was invited to or something, and it was in King of Prussia, Pennsylvania. That's where Dave Barbie is from. From King of Prussia, Pennsylvania, Dave Barbie. So they, they served the Paul Stanley art exhibit. They just served me free wine. Like, count, like I must drink two bottles of wine while hanging out with Paul Stanley at this art, art exhibit, Paul Stanley from KISS. So then afterwards, we go to a, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's in a mall, the King of Prussia Mall, and we go to a, um, I don't know, some kind of restaurant or something, and we're getting something to eat. And the waitress, you know, kind of cute chick or whatever, and I'm talking about King of Prussia. I go, why is it named that? Who's the King of Prussia? 
And I go, I know who the king of Prussia is, Dave Barbie. And Tim just popped. He, I didn't think anybody would know what I was talking about. He just remembered, for some reason, watching wrestling as a kid, that Dave Barbie was from the king of Prussia, Pennsylvania. And it was just, it was an, on, an ongoing uh, I thought you were going to say that, that's my father. I thought you were going to say. No, no. That's, but as far as I know, it could, you know, Dave Barbie, you have a, I'm sure he has fathered many. In the, he is the king of Prussia. From King of Prussia, Pennsylvania. I've been to that Dave mall. Barbie. I've been to that mall. So All right, yeah, yeah. Only twenty minutes from Philly, so. Yeah, yeah. All right, match Funny. number four: David San Martino, the son of Bruno, uh, versus the Moondog Spot. This time, which one was almost in demolition? Spot, Rex. right? Rex. Okay, right. well, Rex. Uh, Randy Coley. They they made it up to Rex for eventually not being in demolition by giving him the easy match uh, on this night, but it's eleven thirty four. Um, San Martino gets him in the small package for the pin later. They're trying to make San Martino a thing. You can kind of see here it's never going to happen. Um, he seems like a nice kid. He's got one of the biggest asses I've ever seen in my life. And uh, he's, I thought they were going to call him David Kardashian. He just has no personality. He, there's just nothing there. Um, but, you know, he, this, he this match went on forever in a day, I felt like. Yeah, they tried with him. Yeah, that's tough. It's like it would be like Nick Hogan becoming a wrestler in uh, 2002. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's just not going to work. And um, uh, he came back. He actually had a match on Nitro. A lot of people don't know this. In like '96, like during the yeah, NWO run, I remember that. And he was like, he's skinny and cut up, no ass anymore. He lost his ass. He's taken out of the hip hop videos all over the country. He lost his money there. So now he's got to go back to wrestling and uh, job to Dean Malenko on Nitro. But uh, he looked like a different person. But uh, hopefully he's getting along with his dad. Uh, 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 hopefully before Bruno passed, they, they, uh, they were getting along. Because I know they had a bit of a rocky relationship over the years. Wild. All right, fifth match is a good one. It's a tag team match scheduled for one fall. Sergeant Slaughter still with the company. And the junkyard dog new to the company, Thump. Uh, versus Shigen Volkov. And they give him a ton of time. 16 minutes and 12 seconds. It's a double DQ finish with Sergeant Slaughter and Volkov pushing the ref down. And they both get um, disqualified. But a really good tag team match. They gave him a lot of time to work. These guys beat the crap out of each other uh, in this match. And I really I really did enjoy this one, Dave. What, what were your thoughts? I enjoyed it myself. The crowd, hot as hell Super for it. hot. Super hot. Thought it could have been a little shorter oh, with yeah. the rest holds and stuff. A little short. Maybe 10 minutes would have been perfect. But, uh, God, Junkyard Dog coming out to bad to the bone and not uh, another one bites the dust. Maybe they must have lost the record because I believe he used another one bites the dust in Mid-South before this. So it wasn't like, you know, they started him off on bad to the yeah, bone. Maybe it's just what they yeah. had. Yeah, what they had. Yeah, I guess. Time. Yeah, who knows? That's a, uh, that caught my attention. And, um, yeah, it was exciting. You know, talk about soup. Everybody's over. This is one of the first, probably the first house show run of Sheik and Volkov uh, teaming up. Talk about heat. You know, you can't, you can't compare mid-80s heat of Shikha Volkov to anybody. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, yeah, it was a fun match. Slaughter bladed. You know what I mean? Um, and the next night, actually, in the Meadowlands right here, that was actually one of the rare Meadowlands to air on MSG. They had the same match, but with uh, Andre in the place of Dog. And uh, that, that headlined that card. So they were kind of going around with mixtures of this match around the horn a little bit. Uh, we can start this one. I'll give this one two and three quarters. I, th I thought this was pretty good. Maybe three even. 
You know, after yeah. coming off all that preliminary, I'll give it three. All that preliminary shit, seeing these kind of stars and and junkyard dog like coming coming into this territory for the first time. He's only been around about a month. He's so over. That's just saying these people didn't see Mid South. They might have saw it in in Pro Wrestling Illustrated or the Wrestler or Inside Wrestling magazines, but they didn't know him. But to cheer for him like that, that's saying this guy has it. He has it. He has something. He's got that crowd on on their feet. He has something that other people just don't have. You can't make it up. That's what Junkyard Dog has. It wasn't just because yeah. he was standing next an to Sergeant Slaughter. An absolute star, yeah, an absolute star. He's a star. That's it. Yeah. That's it, man. Very good. All right, next up, speaking of stars, uh, Brutus Beefcake is with Johnny V. Ooh. Um, And he is going to pin Salvatore Belomo at 1040 with a running knee lift. A very, very green Brutus Beefcake. The high knee. Yep, the high knee. Uh, Like the booty man, the high knee. Get it? I do get it. Very good. (laughs) He's with Johnny V. Um, I didn't make it up. Hogan and Beefcake did. But Beefcake, <laughs> Beefcake doesn't turn into his own, I think, until he gets that year with, with Valentine. You know, he still feels pretty green here. Ten minutes is too long for him. To he was still from at. Parts Unknown here as well. Yeah, which, you know, I, I was going to ask you, Dave, what's going on with their wrestler development program? Because they're just not turning out the professional wrestlers they used to. You know what I mean? You're saying, you're saying today? Yeah, Parts Unknown, they just don't have the <laughs> talent coming out of there <laughs> that they unknown, used to. yeah. I moved there for a little while, but uh, but it wasn't for me, so I came back to Jersey. Yeah, it's just back in the 80s, they had so many wrestlers go pro, and now you almost never hear of anyone being from there. So I don't know what happened to their development program. A lot of people think it's in Jersey, parts unknown, but it's actually on the edge of Ohio between Pittsburgh, Mm. a little bit out there, Mm. yeah. Okay. I was out there. Me me and Moondog Rex went for a couple of beers, but, uh, you know, we didn't see too much action. I had no idea where it was. That's completely unknown to me. Um, anyway, Brutus wins um, over the Italiano. Um, any thoughts? Uh, you know, these two, I think they worked as well either. Too long. Way too long. Yeah. I'd say either the MSG before this, you know, coming back to New York to my area. They were working together. They were doing a circuit together. Uh, Sal was uh, putting beefcake over. Either the Meadowlands the next night or the Garden before. It's too long, but again, it's just another one of those things, a showcase for Brutus. You know, you, there's nobody in there that's going to think Belomo's going to win. And, uh, you know, it's just one of those things. It is what it is. It can't be graded. But, yeah, too long. I mean, I guess they're, they had to fill up those three hours, and uh, it's just what they did back then. And uh, Paul, Paul they, and I were begging for mercy about yeah, halfway I, through I know, this Yeah, I know it's boring. It, yeah. it, it can be a bit boring now, but I know that but the tickets were still sold. You know what I mean? So... For the time being, it was working. But when you start getting into 86, 87, you only have one or two of these matches instead of five. Yeah. The the match before, I forgot to mention, was not a primetime wrestling match. That was one of the two that didn't air with the Hulk match. Uh, Didn't air on primetime. The big tag match. Yeah, the big tag match. Uh, Okay, up next. And this is how long the last match should have been. Uh, Ken Patera beats Tony Guerrero at 6.33. And a roll up after Tony hit his shoulder on the post, and then Patera got behind him and rolled him up four to one, two, three. This is pre-jail, Ken Patera, right? And uh, pre-jail, and but it were actually uh, pre-jail, but it already happened. The incident already happened, right? In Minnesota, or not Minnesota, but in the Minnesota territory, it happened in um, 
uh, Wisconsin. But um, yeah, it was, I guess all the court shit was still was still going on. He came back to New York for the time being. But yeah, Gurria hit his shoulder on the uh, ring post and um, he and got rolled the, up. Uh, one of the very few times that a, a good guy, a face's ass gets shown, usually they do that to Flair or Rick right, Rude, right. pull the tight show the ass. So uh, I guess it was an accident, but Tara showed, you know, it was a full moon. Tony Gurria's ass was showing, and Dick Graham was creepy as hell about it. Yes, he was. Very creepy. Paula thought it was hilarious. That's, yeah, it, it, it's funny, but it's really yeah. funny when it happens to the heel. It's supposed yeah. to be funny. Piper would leave him, leave it down and, you know keep fighting like that but happened to the baby face kind of embarrassing for the baby face so i think it was an accident but dick graham got pretty creepy and if we're going to keep up with the creepiness when cal rudman makes an appearance soon <laughs> in the back all right well the next match is for the intercontinental championship or no it's not it's a non-title match they, valentine didn't know he had the belt at the time this match was signed so it wasn't signed as a title match so sd jones uh, from Antigua, or is it from Philadelphia, or is he from Philadelphia still? He's a, he's a hometown boy. Philadelphia pops the crowd. Yeah, they're so excited. But four minutes and forty four seconds in, it's a suplex in the end of the night. I love SD. I, I've SD. said it before. I don't, yeah. I, I don't know why. I've always loved him. I always, you know, back. You know, I wasn't watching yet in eighty four, but eighty six, eighty seven, eighty eight. Anytime he was in there, like I knew he was gonna lose. It's almost like uh, I don't. I don't want to compare it to that. I don't want to talk about that. I'll tell you what I was gonna say later. But you, you know it's not gonna happen. But you still like you're, you're still like behind it and think in your head that that it might. <laughs> and um, yeah, Greg just hit a belly to back suplex and uh, pinned uh, SD. This would have been one of those preliminary bouts, I guess, if Greg hadn't won the uh, the title. I guess that's the way it was booked. But it, it was put into this position on the card after he had the belt. It seemed a bit more important. All right, so, now here, here's a funny behind-the-scenes look at the show. So I watched this show first, and Dave and I are lucky to be a part of something that allows us to see some of these cards that we feature on the show. Uh, we'll leave it at that. There's something that Dave and I are lucky to be a part of, um, and I think that we... Oh, yes, yes, sir. And I think that we, more than anyone, um, appreciate that and show our appreciation not just in terms of our words, but also our wallets. Um, but the last match on this card is not part of that. And I was watching it, and I was like, oh, man, we might not be able to do this. So then I go quick to YouTube, and I find the match on YouTube. So I watch it, and then I didn't think anything of it and whatever. Another couple of days later, I'm sleeping on a couch, and I wake up, and I got all these text messages to Dave, who's flipping out that the Hulk Hogan match is not isn't available where where we had anticipated it being available. So I had I panicked about it, solved it, forgot to tell Dave, which meant Dave had a panic about it, and then I was sleeping when he was panicking, so he was left in in suspense. In full panic. I told him yeah. to have to call a uh, yeah, an audible, yeah, an, an audible. audible. Yeah. But then I told Dave, which is fine. I'm sure that's to go to YouTube. That- which means I can tell you guys to go to YouTube uh, to watch it, which means we're not going to do play-by-play for it tonight. So I figured let's just talk about our thoughts about the match, about the rivalry, about the promo and all of that. We won't do the play-by-play because hopefully people will be excited enough. They can go watch it on their own after. Um, but I will say, first, Dave, you want to talk about the promo, right? I have, you know... Hulk Hogan is not only my favorite wrestler, he, he's my favorite entertainer, period, in 
in the world ever. He's just my favorite. I love Hulk Hogan. And I've never seen him like this before. I've seen him pumped up, but this is even a little bit over the edge. He is going. It's Saturday night in Philly. I don't know. 1984. Might have been a, a little fun he's going on there. Yeah, he's oh, my God. He's a Hulkster. Fire. If you want to see fire in a promo, man. What, is this on the YouTube, the promo? Uh, I believe so. Yep. I, I recommend this to anybody. This is unlike any. Uh, holding an 84-85 is different. I know the guys on Place to Be always always mention that, and I agree with them. It's very different than uh, Hulk became a little more formulatic. Form, form, how am I saying this? Formulatic. Formulaic. Formulaic. Uh, after WrestleMania three, I'd say. He became that way a bit. And uh, this is even more so than that, than prior to WrestleMania three. He is going wild. And Cal Rudman, who's a creep, who was the guy behind the fake Sammy Hagar at Madison Square Garden, I think. Even though he wasn't the guy dressed up as Sammy Hagar, but I saw him. That's walking, really funny, by the way. Walk, really it's amazing. Yeah. Walking him. I think it was. It might. It looked like Dana Carvey under there, or Alan Hunter from um, MTV. And I think it was Alan Hunter because uh, Cal Rubin is, is in the, was in the music business. So they they were ribbing Gorilla and Alfred. And I guess to think with that. So you think, funny. You, how about me, like not knowing sports shit? How about Gorilla and Alfred not knowing who Sammy Hagar was? In yeah, big. Yeah, biggest band in the world. Yeah. Right up there, Sammy Hagar, Sammy Hagar from yeah. the Van Halen band. Alfred's like, oh, he even knows me. Good stuff. They got it over anyway, on everyone. It's like an early Allie G prank or Tom Green yeah, or something, you know. I'm gonna try it in the next couple days. Uh, get that up on the 24 inch podcast uh, Facebook page for so people can know what we're talking about. Fake Sammy Hagar is in, introduced in Madison Square Garden in 1986, but they act like it's, it's real. It's not part of the show. It's not like it's no. They got tricked. G- Gimmick. They got tricked. Yeah, they yeah. got tricked. Yeah. So anyway, there's Cal Rudman. Uh, he he he's a creeper. Uh, but but I do like him. I do have a soft spot for him. He's loving big muscular Hulk standing next to him for sure, going insane. And uh, yeah, Hulk he's fired up in this promo. Then then he goes down to the ring, and during the entrances, uh, Mel Phillips, the ring announcer, I the Tiger is, is still obviously blaring. Yeah, and but while insane. I the Tiger's. While t- crowd's going insane. While I the Tiger is on, Mel Phillips is introducing Bobby Heenan and Big John Studd, kind of screwing up Hulk's entrance. I think Hulk realizes this, so he gets in the ring and he tosses Mel Phillips. He like really. I know Mel Phillips is not a good is not a good person, you know. So right. I'm kind I'm kind of maybe Hulk knew that. I don't I don't know. But I I just think it wasn't anything to do with that. I think he just didn't mean to throw him so hard. You're pumped up and stuff, but he went. Yeah, I think he just meant to nudge him, but uh, Phillips went flying there. Can you hear the crowd yeah. actually react? You hear the crowd react to it. You know, it's a different Hulk. You never see him do shit like that. Yeah, and they, wild. Uh, they give him. Uh, let's see. What was it? It's about twelve minutes long, I believe. Ten to twelve. It's not on. Sounds right. The history of WWE, but I know that the file for it on, um. YouTube is 15 minutes and the promos and so it's about 12 minute match 10 to 12 minute match and you mentioned that it's not formulaic Hogan doesn't drop the leg here for the pin it's actually a clothesline and also what do you think about this it looked like Stud kicked out before three didn't he did Stud yeah, just not want to do the did. job or what was that about you think well Stud bladed and everything so you know yeah. he, he, t- he took some some beating there but uh it looked like that they were gonna uh, finish to like run that. it back um, yeah. Come back, but they didn't. The right. next, uh, the next month was, was Andre. Andre and Stud. Right. It was supposed to be Kamala, but but he left the territory. 
Um, so it wasn't for that reason. Uh, guys just didn't like taking that one, two, three. It got, it got like that legitimate leg drop. Boom. When Hulk would, Hulk would pin Flair even in 92 in tag matches. Hulk and Roddy against Sid and Undertaker, Sid and Flair, uh, that went all around the country. Hulk would win with the quick lariat because doesn't make like Flair flat. You got a quick pin on him. You know, Flair was the champion, losing in a tag match. So that's what kind of looks like. Oh, you got a quick one on me. So it doesn't make Stud look look too bad. And wrestling fans nowadays hate that. They want a decisive winner. I don't, because when someone gets beat decisively, to me, because I'm in this mindset from back here. You understand? I like it this way, unless it's like WrestleMania or SummerSlam. You know what I mean? Sure. You know, it makes Stud get up and look like, all right, you Hulk, you won, but hey, it could have went either way here. So I I got no problem with that. People in the uh, Attitude Era, like The Rock, be getting pinned by Stephanie McMahon and stuff. I would be like, dude, what is this? Dude, it's silly. You know, it's just come on and it, whatever. And but somebody may be looking at AEW right now and wanting it like the Attitude Era. I'm two, three errors behind that. You know, right. it is when you grew up. So I have no problem with this. I just wanted to make Stud look like, look like, you know, look tough still. Look like he still had it. And not only did they not have the match back, Hogan wasn't even there in November. And actually, Hogan wouldn't return to the Spectrum until February of 85. There you go. Uh, where he fought Brutus Beefcake uh, with Johnny V in a matinee. That's actually on... In a matinee, it's on the Hulkster, Hulk Hogan. There you go. Yep. And uh, they drew 19,701 that night, which is basically Rockin and rolling. people on the roof. Uh, and remember, this this is even, these big shows, this one sold out 18,000. That one's 19,000. This is before WrestleMania 1. This is before Hulk Hogan's rock and wrestling cartoon. This is before the, LJ, <clears throat> the LJNs. You know, this this was this was this big business. They're just firing it up big, here. You know, they're just big kinda, money. Yeah, yeah. So that's uh, that's the match. Um, I will give it three stars uh, relative to Hogan matches. Um, finish isn't great. Um, they worked hard, like we said. Stud kind of drew some color, which was good. The heat is amazing. The energy is amazing. The promo is great. Feels like a solid three to three and a half star. A Hogan match anywhere in that range for me. What about you, Dave? I agree. I'll give it that extra little quarter, three and a quarter, for Hulk being just. Yeah, I think that's a great in between three and three and a half. Three and yeah. a quarter is perfect. That's where it he is. was just on. And I, I don't like to just because you know say oh he was coked up. A lot of people just throw that around. You know, a lot of people that yeah. never did coke. I doubt people it. That, yeah. People that never did coke in their life say that that don't know what that's like. I have done a lot of coke in my life. So just because every single time you're pumped up and acting different does not mean you're you're on coke. Because if he was on coke, going out into the ring in 20 minutes, he would want more. You know, what I mean, it's, it doesn't work that way. Just do a bunch and then stop doing it. So you know, I don't want to make this the drug. Uh, you know, I don't do drugs anymore, but I don't want to make this the drug pro- podcast. But some of that's thrown around a little too loosely about these guys being out there coked up in their interviews and stuff. I just think he was, you know, just fired up. Maybe came from a workout, just right from that, from there. Just he was young, and you know, in a good mood, and just was just on fire. Yep. Bank and account. Uh, maybe just saw his bank account. We will. We will link to this match since we are able to, with it being on YouTube. We'll link to this everywhere. So, hopefully, you guys get a chance to watch it. And if you do, 
Uh, shoot us an email, 24inchpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter, 24inchpodcast there and uh, or Instagram or wherever. Let us know what you think of the match, what your grade yeah, would there's, be. There's two other stud uh, Hogan, three other stud Hogan matches available, two at the Garden, uh, Bass Square Garden, September. I say the Garden because I think from my area, everyone knows what I'm talking about, but this podcast is, is going all around. I could be saying the Boston Garden. I'm referring to Madison Square Garden, September and October of 84. And then we had one at the Meadowlands in December of 84, a body slam challenge match, similar to the Andre Stud one at WrestleMania. And uh, this one, the Meadowlands one, is on Hulkamania 1, Coliseum Video. Right. And there's also, did you say the 622-85 match is on there as well? I did not say that, but, okay. yeah, that's on there as well. It's uh, St. Louis. Yeah. yeah, so a lot of good. Hulk stud matches, and I'm sure uh, we'll do some more with stud in the future. Maybe we'll do one of the tag team matches at Stud and Bundy, or you know, Hogan Andre versus. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So this. yeah, so Stud will be back for sure. Um, what an awesome professional wrestler! Someone who looks like a professional wrestler should look, you know, a true giant, a, a huge guy who wore beautiful robes and lived the gimmick and worked hard, and you know, and and his his name that's a household name. Yes. Big John Studd. Those guys from that era, everybody from that cartoon. And everybody knew that figure, names. too. Everyone had that LJ. figure. Yeah. Everyone had it. Big John Studd, they said the name in rap songs, hip-hop songs into the 90s. Maybe not even knowing who they were talking about, but that name, Big John Studd, it just stood the test of time. This guy is an icon, and he's someone that's not brought up. And he's in the Hall of Fame. He got in in 2004, that awesome class. Yeah, had like 10 or 12 guys going to Jesse, Morocco, Valentine, Tito. And he went in with that class. Uh, one of his sons inducted him into the Hall of Fame. But you don't really hear too much. They, for some reason, they don't really, besides. Well, that's why oh, we're and, here. That's why we're Andre, here. To yeah, make sure Andre you pulled hear. his hair. Yeah. Andre didn't like him. Andre this, Andre that. How about giving Stud some, you know, some recognition of his own? And yes, that's why we're here. It's one of the reasons we did this. So big ups to the great Big John Stud. We love him. It was a great match. Really enjoyed doing this. All right, we're going to take a break. we got to come back. we still got some stuff to do. Uh, we got emails. we got to tell you what we're going to do. Next time on this program, um, we got some plugs. we got all kinds of business still. So let's take a break. We'll be right back. I am a real American. Fight for the rights of every man. I am a real American. Fight for what's right. Twenty-four inch podcast back. One last segment, episode nineteen. Uh, we just covered Hulk Hogan's match versus the great uh, Big John Stud. Don't forget, you can hear this episode and every episode of this podcast on the Sportscasters feed on SoundCloud. It's SoundCloud.com/sports-casters. You can also find all of our episodes in the Sportscasters archive, which is anywhere you listen to podcasts, whether it be Apple or whether it be 
Podbean or Podblaster or Downcast or Spotify. Uh, the Sportscasters uh, feed is the home for the 24-inch podcast and the Sportscasters podcast. Uh, you can find us on Instagram. We're at 24, the number two, the number four, then an underscore, then inch, then another underscore, and then podcast. You can find us on Twitter. We're at the number two, the number four, the word inch, and the word podcast. You can email us your questions or comments. We read them all. We're at the number two, the number four, inch podcast at gmail.com. Uh, just two, four inch podcast at gmail.com is the email. Uh, we usually record episodes every other Thursday. Uh, and I think that'll be a lot easier to stick to that schedule as we get into the fall and the winter. And it's a little bit of a slower time. We're not going on vacation, things like that. Don't forget to check out the Sportscasters podcast, the other podcast on this feed. It's hosted by myself. We're doing the 10th year of the Sportscasters. Uh, we have some great guests coming up, including the great Joe Poznanski, uh, who wrote a book called The Baseball 100. And he's going to be on the episode that's going to be released essentially at the same time as this one. If you want to follow me or the Sportscasters on Twitter, it's at sports underscore casters. Email me, thesportscasters at gmail.com. Also, I want to mention some of our friends. First of all, Peter Winson. Greetings from Allentown. The best wrestling podcast with one guy in the world. Uh, it's at GF Allentown Pod for information on uh, greetings from Allentown. Uh, and not only is it greetings from Allentown, but also greetings from Allentown Live, which is Keithy and Peter. Uh, and that's a must-listen as well. Uh, since it's the beginning of hockey season, I want to mention this for the first time. ColoradoHockeyNow.com. It's run by a great friend of mine, a guy named Adrian Dater, who is a maniac just like uh, Hollywood Davis, and I say that in the nicest and most loving Ooh. of ways, a huge fan of Kiss as well. Uh, at a Dater on Twitter, he's been covering the Avalanche since they moved there back in 1995. No one knows more about Adrian, and he's kind of being screwed over by the man right now, and I can't go into it too much, uh, mm. but he needs our support. Colorado Hockey. Yeah, that's Colorado Hockey Now. ColoradoHockeyNow.com. Um, please, if you have any interest in Colorado Avalanche hockey, I think it's twenty four ninety five for the entire season. Can't beat it. Uh, and also, I want to mention the Place to Be Nation. Um, Justin and Scott, they have their latest episode is up, the 92 Survivor Series with D'Amato. Uh, it's the end of the reboot project, but it isn't because there's one episode left, uh, which we'll record in the middle of October, which I will host. Um, so look forward to that. Me hosting the Place to Be Nation flagship show. The first host that isn't Scott and Justin on the flagship show ever. All right. Those are the plugs. Let's get to the emails. Dave, what do you got, buddy? Okay, first, a uh, big friend of the show, Tim Mangione. He was down for the count for a little while there, but he fortunately he kicked out at two. He has no question for us this week. He just wants to thank us for his support and concern while he was in the hospital. Look at as a guy who's been there many nights, and I told Tim this, tried to tell Tim this on the phone, although he he had his own agenda on that phone call. <laughs> uh, oh. uh, I know what it's like. So whenever anyone's in that position it touches a part of me you know what i mean so i did reach out to tim and call him while he was there and he didn't answer which i understand as well because there's been days where i want to grab that phone in my room and throw it across the fucking you know across the way there and bash it so i understand but i'm glad he's feeling better i'm really glad he's and, feeling tim, better. and tim this is a professional wrestling podcast you were in a medical medical facility you're not in the hospital yeah that's one of our band words hospital 
Yeah. That's on our band word list. So All is right, belts. Number... So is belts. Don't let me hear you saying belt, Dave. No belts. Only championships. Or Kevin Hogan, num- number one supporter of the 24-inch podcast, doesn't go unappreciated. Thank you, Kevin Hogan. He's got a big question from us. for us. It didn't seem like Big John Studd did too much after he won the Royal Rumble in 1989. He left not too long after that, if I remember correctly. Are there any ways that you think he could have been booked that would have prevented him from leaving? Uh, you want to go first, Steve, or you was like me? Yeah, first? I'm pretty sure I know why, and that's that he tricked them. Uh, he led them to believe uh, that he was the big John Stud that they remembered from 1984, uh, and that he was going to be capable of matches like he had in 1984. And uh, when they when he got there, and they realized he wasn't the same guy, they sort of backed off the push a little bit. Um, which is too bad because, you know, he didn't even get a match at WrestleMania five. You know, so it's too bad that he wins the Rumble and then it's essentially over already at Mania. You know, it's too bad instead of a referee that there wasn't some role for him. And I'm sure they could have found something. Um, I don't know why they felt like for him to be of any value at all, you know, he needed to be able to do a 15-minute blade job match with Hogan or something like I don't know why they couldn't have used him as the attraction that he was at that point and booked him as a threat to someone as opposed to you know this kind of fan favorite thing or whatever they tried so I would have brought him back I would have you know had him screw over a fan favorite whether it be you know obviously Hulk and Macho Man are in their own it's not going to be them Um, so you know pick out one of the top Faces in the company at the time, whoever you want to be, bring him in at the Rumble, screw him over, and have a uh, a grudge match at WrestleMania Five. Let your good guy win it, and boom, Stud had a great run. He he came, he attacked, he won the Rumble, and then he had a huge match at Mania. That's the way it should. So you're go. saying you, you wanted him to be a heel still? Yes, yes, yes. Come back yes. heel. Yeah, he's, he's he's definitely got that heel stamped on his back. Yeah, but uh. Y- yeah, Kevin, uh, what, I, what I think about it, um, they had him come in as a face, and I think and they know they have Andre as a heel at this time in 1989. He's their biggest heel in the company. And um, you can't have John and Andre both heel. I think that's the way, the, the way they thought sure, of it. Because they they're, they're such yeah, – I mean, they could have. But they could have been a tag team as well. But you still had, you had the Twin Towers at that time. And uh, who would have done the work in the ring? Andre and Stud would both need to be – you know, they both need like a Haku type – to team up with, so it may not have worked that way. And Bossman and Akeem are big guys, but they were, you know, they were much younger and agile in 1989. So I don't think the the Bobby Heenan major team of Andre the Giant and Big John Studd, how cool it sounds on paper. I don't know, you know, how that would have been great to see them against Hogan and Savage. What right? about Maybe a hair they, angle? What about a hair angle with uh, Beefcake? Yeah, they, you know, that could have worked. Beefcake's but anyway, huge I, around I, that. Yeah, anyway, very, very big, very over. But I think what happened was, what really happened, besides the speculation on our part, was that uh, Andre was uh, in the ring. They weren't getting along. Uh, was pulling his hair a lot when, when Stubb was faced. I know they had, they had a couple of main events. They, you know, they went out on the road. They had a couple of main events. One at the Boston Garden that was televised. And I think Andre was, was taking liberties with him. Andre could be very grumpy at, at this time. And I think also John Studd wasn't happy with his WrestleMania payoff. 
and uh, he had opportunities. He was in a couple Disney. He was in a couple Disney movies, and then a couple of years later, he went on to make the great Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man with none other than Mickey Rourke. So I think that was in his head, like, "Why well, I got to put up with these small payoffs and Andre roughing me up in the ring? I might as well, you know, go back to what I was doing before I came back here." So you know, that's kind of how I see that. A different way to book him, like Steve said, could have been as a heel. I just think they had so many monster heels at the time. Andre, Bossman, Akeem, you know, I, I just think they you know, they didn't need another monster heel uh, in the first half of 1989. And uh, the, the feud was supposed to go on and on because Hillbilly Jim ended up uh, taking Stud's place in this feud. And they had a big match at Nassau, a couple tag tag team scenarios with uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan and Hillbilly against Haku and Andre. So he was booked to go, but he just he wasn't happy with it. It was, uh, you know, it wasn't the right time uh, for Big John uh, to return to the company. But he still got that big Royal Rumble victory in 1989, and uh, you can't change that. Uh, on to the next next question, Jamie from Queens. How you doing, Jamie? We haven't heard from you in a while. Uh, this question is for me, Dave. <clears throat> excuse me, Dave. Given your love of and knowledge of professional wrestling, particularly the WWF. Have you ever tried to get a job within wrestling companies? Wow. This may be my favorite question that we've ever done here on the 24-inch podcast, uh, Jamie. Uh, how can I tell the story? In 2007, I worked uh, for a company called Any Excuse for a Party. Fairfield, New Jersey, they're still in business today. They rent out bounce houses for your kids' birthdays. Paula Mania may have had that at one time or another. Uh, dunk tanks. DJ equipment, dunk tanks, popcorn machines. And they called. I worked in the office. They called the office, and somebody else answered. They go, hold on, line two. They go, hey, Dave, we got WWE on the line. That's your call, brother. And I go, what? I thought they were ribbing me. I pick it up. They're like, yeah, we're doing something in Times Square for the WWE Network. I don't know if you've heard of it. Uh, we need a, we'd like to rent a popcorn machine, and we need one guy to man the popcorn machine and another guy to help us out. They didn't say doing what. I'm like, what? So I would get like my friends to help me and, and, and pay them. They would just come in, you know, kind of like on a one-off. So I called Chet. I said, hey, you got to do this party with me coming up in Times Square. It's for WWE. He's like, fuck yeah. And uh, so me and Chet go to the party. You know, I'm in charge. We got the popcorn machine. And it's right after the Benoit murders in 2007. I'm talking right after so we don't. We thought the popcorn machine is for the uh, for the fans, but no, we're backstage. It's for the it's for the company. So we're back there with the Miz, Jimmy Hartstair, Stone Cold Steve Austin, a ton of the divas. I know Maria. We were talking to her a lot, and the Miz is doing like this phone interview. He's sitting down with like I don't know, was it called Bite This or something something like that about Benoit, and he's talking about the situation. It couldn't have been. I don't know what it was for, but we're just like mesmerized, like stuck. And Jimmy Hart comes up, and we're serving him popcorn. We're like, wow, Jimmy Hart. I'm like, Chet, like, don't freak out. Like, we're a bunch of marks. And I'm like, yeah, Jimmy Hart. Yeah, eat your heart out, Rick Springfield. I love that song. He's like, oh, I'm going to sing it, baby. I'm like, what? And like five minutes later, he's on his stage singing Eat Your Heart Out, Rick Springfield. And Austin's up there. And it was, it was after they moved out of the uh, WWE New York facility. It was across the street in Times Square in another building. And uh, it was just wild. And I they gave me a WWE polo to wear for the – wear for the day and i kept it i was working for them subcontracted they subcontracted me 
and I handed out flyers for the WWE Network, and people asked me a million questions, and I was able to answer them only because I'm me. If I was some just some guy that worked for any excuse or party, I'd be like, dude, I don't know, but I like I knew I knew the answers <laughs> to, to all the questions that they that they asked me, and uh, yeah, it, it, that that was a crazy day. But yeah, I worked for the WWE one day in my life, Jamie. Thanks for the question. Wait, so what was? It was for the the WWE Network as we know it didn't exist. So what was it for exactly? I'm sorry, the WWE 24 seven. Okay, 24 seven. That's what I thought you. Meant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had it in New Jersey, but I think in New York we'll have to ask Damato. In New York, I remember like when I'm handing those flyers out, a lot of people say, well, "We don't have it. We don't have it. How come? How come?" And I I knew the answer, and I knew what what shows were on it and everything, and it was just amazing. And being being backstage with everybody here and what everybody's saying, it was uh like I said, Mr. Kennedy. Stone Cold was not with us backstage. They must have had a different area. Mr. Kennedy, Jimmy Hart, all the girls, you know, Maria and maybe Melina. Melina it's pretty Melina cool Perez. that your company kind yeah. of just let you take it, too, that they didn't try to. Oh, they put they, whoever answered. I think it was this guy, Lewis or, or Rich, please. We call him. I'm still in contact with them, with Rich to this day. This is on hold. Like, Dave, it's WWE. I'm like, yeah, fuck you. But I knew that 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 com- big companies did call. So, you know, yeah. I'm like, OK, yeah, boom. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's awesome. So uh, I have yeah, not. Awesome. I have never worked for a wrestling company. In case they're wondering, if I have, wow. I have not. <laughs> Although I, uh, I was practically a uh, ticket salesman for ECW in the nineties because mm. I went to so many shows and loved them so much. I told everyone about them and brought so many different people. I could have practically been on Paulie's payroll, but other than that, no, I've never worked for a yeah, company. Those yeah. ECWs in the mid nineties are phenomenal. I had so much fun going to those shows. Yeah. Yeah. But that's what these AEW, they're trying to copy that. And you can only do something once. You know what I mean? You can't with these chants and everything. Now, it's, in my opinion, it's corny because I was there during the real, and you were there during the, the real time of it. So just continuous copying what they think is underground that's not underground anymore. And it's just, it's just becoming silly, in my I, opinion. I have almost no opinion about. AEW. Other than I'm glad. No, good. Other than I'm glad there's a place for people to work. I mean, it's the but, ultimate. It's yeah. the ultimate money mark of all time, right? I mean, you're never gonna get a richer guy who loves wrestling and is willing to spend his money on it than Tony Khan. You know what I mean? Yeah. His dad. It's a, it's a, his dad is the ultimate bank. So good for them, and good for guys like Jake Roberts and other guys from my era that I care about. Somewhere for them to get yeah, paid Arn, and be a part of the business. Tully Blanchard. Yeah, but I mean. I don't know. I, I lost my train of thought there. I'm sorry, but it, it's um. I lost my train of thought. I'm, I'm sorry. I'll say. I'll say. I'll say what I'm thinking on another show. I will about, say one uh, other. Oh no, no. This is what this is what it was. Okay. Like like about like any rock band. Like oh, so and so band, Pink Floyd. I don't really like them, but I like this song and I like that song. I guess I can't say I don't like them because I like a couple songs. There's almost every band you might not like them, but you like a song or two. AEW. I say I don't like it. I don't Except like the fit. Except for Weezer. Yeah. AEW, you know, there's a couple things I like. I'm a wrestling fan. I can't say I don't like it. I want to know what happened. So I can't just be a full-on hater, but there's a lot of stuff that, that irks me. Just put it that way. That's all. I uh, I want to give a shout-out to a guy named Dwayne Steinel, um, who has a podcast called Two Goalies, One Mike. I almost forgot about this. I wanted to mention it during the plugs, but I forgot. Uh, Dwayne Steinel, he's a good kid. He loves the Sabres. He wears it on his sleeve. And uh, his podcast is at the number two, the word goalies, number one, Mike, M-I-C, on Twitter. Two goalies, one Mike. Check him out. 
He's a good supporter of this podcast. Uh, and he mentioned it on the latest episode of Two Goalies, One Mike. So I wanted to return the favor. Check out the show. It's a good hockey show. Um, him and, a, and another good kid named Johnny Cullen. Uh, they're two goalies, obviously, hockey goalies. And they share a mic. Um, and they share other things as well. But um, for right now, let's focus on the mic and that podcast. So I don't want to mention that. Uh, we got it. What other questions and emails we got, Dave? Is that it? Uh, we got one more. One more. From the brother of Jerry. Soup. Finally checking Soup. in. Soup. My best friend since now kindergarten. Now, why is he called Soup? What's the story there? Stuart. Stu. So okay, it's just more. They, they, like they would call him Stewie. Yeah. Stu. Some 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 kid Iolo, I would call him Iola to play football with. Be like, Yo, Soup. I don't know. Because, you know, like Campbell, I would have bought it. But Stuart, nah. Yeah. No. Doesn't work. I don't work. know. It stuck. It doesn't work. It's stuck, but just for him, not not for not for his brothers. Right. But anyway, it doesn't make any sense. That's why it didn't go to the brothers. Well, stew, stew was see stew if they were a soup. No, it's a stew. It's stew. Oh, whatever. Same shit. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, okay. <laughs> but um, uh, he wants to know who um stud wrestled more, Andre or Hogan. Uh, that's a tricky question where I'd have to really count them up, but I would, I'd have to say Andre. I would say Andre. 80, yeah, I would say Andre. Eighty-three run. 83 run back in WWF, 84, 85, you know, the stuff with the machines in 86. Uh, he was in there with Hulk a lot, though. It might, might, might be closer than you think with this house show stuff. And the, but, really uh, cool, the really cool thing that they did the same gimmick with the 10000 bucks and the body slam three years apart and pulled it off. Yeah, it's, it's insane. That's, that's insane. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. imagine, now, imagine nowadays AEW was doing it or WWE was doing it. And, Someone else did it three years before. The outrage that would take place well, on the internet. I'm very happy for Mr. Beef Stew um, <laughs> and that he was able to send in a question. See, now, if him and his, if his last name was Chicken Noodle, I would believe it. And it, all of the brothers would be called Soup. But since it, the nickname just doesn't make sense, that's why only one of them has it. That's why it didn't catch yeah. on. You see what I'm saying? Oh, it caught on around here. Big time. No, I'm saying for Very the other big. brothers, oh. for the other ones. Oh, yeah, the other brothers. It's yeah, the family of many brothers, not, right? How many brothers are there? There's three altogether. Right. And if they're if the if their nickname if their last name was New England Clam Chowder, they would all be soups. <laughs> See what I'm saying? That's pretty good. That's a good last name. Yeah. <laughs> Jerry Jerry uh New England Clam Chowder. I met him yeah. at the uh, maybe we should name each one of them after a different uh, after a different soup. Yeah. Nowadays well, to make yeah. it make more sense. Yeah. Well the thing is is uh, Jerry would have to be named after one that kind of isn't around much anymore because you, you're trying to kill the guy. So yeah, and you're you know that soup is it's just kind of canceled, kind of like Jerry is going to be because yeah. of you, mostly you. Yeah, well, we'll we'll have to think about one one of that. He, he can be uh maybe a tomato soup. Is that still around? <laughs> I think it's still around. Yeah, no, people still like that soup. There's yeah. one, you know, there's got to be something that people just don't like. I don't know. Maybe there's a soup that's bad for the environment. You know, like uh, dolphin. We're gonna soup. have to watch Seinfeld. And take a, take a look at the soup Nazi, right? And see which ones are good or not. Or not. All right. What are we doing next week, Dave? Next. On time. that note, next yeah. week, next week we're gonna have. It's not quite soup season yet, so we're not gonna get warm in our blankets here in Buffalo, New York, and Carnegie, New Jersey, and have a nice big bowl of soup. And but it's in some days, in the older days, we did do that, and we'd get a nice big bowl of soup on a cold, snowy day, and walk to the video store after school and rent. None other than a Coliseum home video oh, from I our local it. video. Oh, store. did I love it. Oh, 
And finally, on the 21st podcast, we're going to do our first Coliseum home video, Hulkamania 6, the final Hulkamania in the series from Coliseum Video. There were six of them, and this is the last one, and we're going to be focusing on a big match. This is a request now from Kevin Hogan. Kevin Hogan, you requested Stan the Lariat Hansen, one of the all-time greats, who is one and I believe one and only match with Hulk Hogan, at least televised, is from the Egg Dome in Tokyo, Japan, just a week after WrestleMania six, Hogan and Warrior, a week after it. We're in Tokyo, Hulk Hogan against Stan Hansen. This is one of Hulk's best matches, in my opinion, and I can't wait to break it down next week uh, in two weeks right here. So we'll give that match on the VHS the treatment. We'll do the Tokyo Dome as the arena. We'll do Stan Hansen as the bio. We'll do the month and the year that that match took place as the news. And then we'll do the rest of the matches on the tape kind of as the car, like we do the card um, in another week. So that's how we'll format it. And uh, that should be up in about two weeks. So we look forward to that. I love it. All right. I love it. At this time, then, there's only one more piece of business, Dave. And that's that we just ask the listeners to please, between now and the next episode, say your prayers. Maybe one for my grandma, Paula, who passed away on this day in 95. Grandma, maybe one for Uncle Tito, who we love. Whoever it be. God bless. A prayer. Say your prayers. Take your vitamins. And tell your friends about the 24-inch podcast. Bubba, brother. Take that.